Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the penultimate episode of Season 7 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. Take your cease taste to purer things. Kill them swiftly, if you will. But do it, for do not doubt, you are a sequelizer! There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I was going to lose uh, it, but that's fine. Yeah. That nah, might actually give the game away for a few listeners, eagle-eared listeners. Oh, that might, that's, a... that's just printed so weirdly on the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> was that very Peaked loud, by any chance? Yeah. yeah. That'd be fun. I'll have fun editing that one, Matthew. <laughs> and joining us, also as always, it's Tim Matum. Viva Von, a two, a one, two, three, four. You want to go into a bit of corn there, Tim, or a bit of, a bit of Marilyn Manson, or Disturbed? I was originally going to be doing uh, some some Jonathan Davis scatting. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. If I had to do an intro, that's absolutely what my intro would be. <laughs> I'm your host, as always. Boom, da, ding, dang, da, <laughs> oh, dear. And if that doesn't give the game away, I don't know what will, because this week we are fixing... <sighs> it's, it's much requested... Did you just go? <laughs> We're fixing. <gasps> I did. Yeah, I gave, <laughs> gave a little vampire. Like a vampire. Like a vampire. Vampiric chambers. <laughs> Vampiric chambers. That's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are fixing the 2002 sequel to Interview with the Vampire, Queen of the Damned. <laughs> Lightning strikes and heavy breathing and weird homoerotic sexual attention all that good stuff before we get to all that good stuff let's talk about patreon shall we gentlemen speaking <laughs> of homoerotic tension <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i love it here our executive producer <laughs> did you know you can support us on patreon.com slash sequelizers and get early access and ad free episodes for every episode it's a lovely little bundle of of joy and delight including Extra merchandise, exclusive merchandise only for patrons, discounts on merchandise, and bonus content and outtakes. And if you go really high up on those tiers, £30 or more, you get extra stuff as well. And we've got a couple of new ones as well, ladies and gentlemen, because the EP pool is growing very nicely. And uh, you know a few of them already. You probably already know our good pal, Mr. Jonathan Firth-Clark. You already know Mr. Stuart Maine. Of course, the man who at this point needs no introduction because we know what's coming next, Mike Salvia. One of our newest EPs, Mr. Tyler Rogers. And two new executive producers, ladies and gentlemen. We have a long-time patron who has stepped up and taken one of the top tiers, the man simply known as Xenos. <laughs> and another long-time supporter and patron who has also stepped up to one of the executive producer tiers, it's Andy Steen. Twist. Twist. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We really appreciate your support. It's incredible to now have this group of people growing. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate your support. If you are able to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. And if you're able to financially, you can join that wonderful group of people. 
and uh, have your say about what we do and what we fix on the show. So, this has been much requested throughout the years. It's about time we get to it, I think. The <laughs> the, the sequel to, an, I think, a 90s classic, personally. The 1994 mm-hmm. film Interview with the Vampire, starring Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst, ex- Antonio Banderas, etc. Mm-hmm. Going eight years from 94 to 2002, we then get to Queen of the Damned, which might be, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the show before, the most 2000s film ever made. <laughs> because we talked about this in Blade, obviously, and we talked about how yeah. 90s, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, even earlier this season, Blade and TMNT have come up, and how the whole you know leather and, and vampires and all that kind of shit happened. and Matrix. Everything with Blade. The whole Matrix thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. I feel like Queen of the Damned just takes it to a whole new level, especially, as we've hinted at already, with the fucking new metal soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's certainly the most early 2000s oh, film yeah, yeah, yeah. there is out there. Um, and, yeah, my God, I think it's... A, I think it's... There's a lot of people who have a lot of affection. Like, I, I still see it discuss, discussed occasionally amongst people um, who bring it up. And I think for, you know, a lot of people who were goths or emo or whatever you want to term it in their teen years um <laughs> well that was gonna be my next question matt but yes <laughs> there's uh they have a lot of affection for this film but if you go back and watch it with with fresh eyes or new eyes or without that filter over it my god <laughs> yeah and i watched a, as i always do i watch a few reviews on youtube for i try to watch some of the original and some for the the bad sequel as well and holy shit, there's a lot of people who really like Queen of the Damned. They're like, well, I was 15 at the time. And you're like, yeah, that, that doesn't make it good, but that explains everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I sent a screenshot to you guys before we started recording. Of If you just go Queen of the Damned review on YouTube, <laughs> every motherfucker is cosplaying as a like stri- <laughs> string-vested vampire. <laughs> because of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? With and some with levels of ironic detachment and some with very little ironic detachment. Yep. <laughs> Correct, yeah. And I think it might be that ironic detachment that kind of separates the, the two sides of fandom for this film, <laughs> I feel. Some people take it very seriously. Like, yeah, that's the reason I am who I am. I, I love Corn and Marilyn Manson and very dark eye makeup and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to in 2002. So uh, I think it's only right. I know we do the intros here, but we start with hey we're introduced to this film and how we saw the original and stuff and obviously the young goth among us mr stogden <laughs> how are you introduced to queen of the damned and interview with the vampire i remember when i was 10 years old um we were just again out as a family just driving london something like i remember seeing the billboard for interview with the vampire um and it's a, it's a really weird one because i remember looking at it saying i don't understand it I think I like it. Um, and 10 years old, it's, it's, it's just to describe it, it is a very uh, sepia-toned image, uh, which is pretty much bisected between a bench with a very forlorn-looking Brad Pitt being approached I'm looking by... looking at it right now. Yeah, being approached <laughs> by a, a tiny um, Kirsten Dunst. And a giant... And this was what confused me. A giant Tom Cruise face. And that was fine. That was like, oh, that's a thing. Mm. Wait vampire oh that sounds cool i like vampires as like, what's wrong with his hand and i have never understood what is going on is, it, is he taking off a hood is he hiding from the sun why does he have two fucking lobster claws and a tiny little 
fucking cat thumb. It's like, I don't understand what this is. And because I became obsessed with that, I wanted to see the movie. Couldn't see it until I moved to Norwich, oddly enough, and became like 16, older. It was on TV, basically. And is that prime goth map? That is, let's be honest. Most, <laughs> most deaf. <Yeah. laughs> and, um, Trench coat to the floor. Yes. Crow loving motherfucker. Hair. Yes, exactly. Long, yeah. long black hair. Pale as all shit. Um, <laughs> foppy little bastard. Um, <laughs> uh, who also, by the way, uh, massively into his industrial metal and things in Nine Inch Nails, but also loved the fuck out really? of corn. I would never have guessed. Um, but watched Interview with the Vampire, and the fact that it took itself very seriously and was mm. telling a period drama. We're going to get back to the books in a second. Um, that's a whole that's discussion. A whole fucking thing. Thing. That's a whole fucking thing. I was like, I like this a lot. I genuinely enjoyed it. And I still, to this day, very much enjoy it's how it's crafted. I think it's one of those things that could only exist in the mid-90s because of the nature of how film was going and prestige um, dramas, into prestige period dramas. It's it's like you couldn't make this in the eighties; it would have fallen apart. You couldn't really make it in the two thousands; it would have fallen apart, as we fucking found out from what they made. In the <laughs> it's one of those things that just it, it it's a very much a piece of its time and 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 lightning in a bottle moment. Especially because the book is a similar sort of situation. We'll come back to. I'll probably save my thoughts on Queen of the Damned for now. I'll let you guys also your introduction to Interview with the Vampire. So say Tim. When were you first introduced? To when did you project? receive the dark gift of a yeah. blowjob from a man in an alleyway? <laughs> uh, well, my origin story is very, very similar to Matt. Um, Tim was in the car with when me I, the time. I love you <laughs> just no-sold that line from Matt, by the way. A blowjob uh, in a dark alley. Well, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a young boy, uh, my father took me into the city <laughs> to... See a marching band. Oh, uh, no, uh, <laughs> I hadn't watched Interview with the Vampire Jeez. until about a week ago. Hey, um, there we go. Wow. Uh, so it was. It was again one of those things I was always aware of. Um, I was not goth enough to <laughs> watch it at the time. Um, Sad, but not and, mopey. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, and so it was just something that kind of the the uh, was never particularly on my radar or something. That I was desperate to watch. I sure. knew it had a, a good reputation. Um, I was kind of vaguely aware of certain elements of it, um, like uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst's performance um, in particular, like knowing that that was very good and had basically launched her career. And then watched it last week, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it's really good. Um Tom Cruise, I thought especially was. I mean, obviously, Kristen Dunst is is fantastic in it. Um, I really liked Cruise in it. I think it's a shame that he doesn't play more villains. Oh, he should. He really should. Um, because he's really good in it. Yeah. Um, Antonio he, Banderas he to ham it up, doesn't he? Old Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> he commits uh, to his wrong. He's good in collateral. Antonio Banderas's hair in this film is amazing. <laughs> it's intense. And I it's want, intense. I want <laughs> like a like one of those dolls where they've got like the real brushable hair like i want one of those of him an armand with brushable hair an armand I mean, that's, with that's what it looks hair. like that, anyway that feels like a plot point in what we do in the shadows the tv series yeah. <laughs> hey he's got a doll how come i haven't got a doll? <laughs> yeah. it's just so lustrous and so it is. like it's unbelievable this fucking guy yeah um but no i i like yeah i i i knew relatively little about the plot uh going in 
Um, but it's but it's very interesting because I was a massive Buffy fan growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching this and seeing uh, and then doing some research, like Jack, I watched a couple of like uh, YouTube videos afterwards um, between kind of doing this and and watching Queen of the Damned. Um, to look into the history and to understand the Anne Rice novels a bit better and stuff like that, and seeing how much of the vampire mythology for Buffy was influenced by Interview with a Vampire, and then obviously that filters down into things like Twilight and all the various other, the YA mythological supernatural explosion kind of thing, um, was really fascinating um, because there's, you know, sort of, uh, there's so many fingerprints that you know you can see that were then picked up in other stuff in this um and i think it's kind of fascinating how much of a how much of an impact it has had in pop culture um like filtering down and then um and then obviously researching and finding out like how much of a like huge crossover hit and an unexpected hit the Anne rice books were Mm. um and then the kind of weird story of how they've evolved um but yeah, so I had very little history with it, um, but I I really enjoyed the film. Nice. It's interesting to see from a contemporary point of view how it holds up. Yeah, less so for Queen of the Damned, but we'll get into that. <laughs> less so because Tim yeah, loved it. Definitely. <laughs> I prefer Queen of the Damned. Um, weirdly enough, that that was not quite. I didn't quite prefer it, but I saw. I think I saw Queen of the Damned first, like in my teenage years, because you know I would have mm. been. It is well quite when the film standalone, came out, so like, to be fair. It yeah, it, it's even described as a standalone sequel on, mm-hmm. on like typical Wikipedia and IMDb lists and all that kind of stuff. Distance from the Oscar-nominated um, film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's like I saw both of those films. I think fairly far apart, but also when I was younger, probably like say for example, I saw Queen of the Dam when I was fifteen and Interview with a Vampire when I was twenty, which is a lifetime had- for a kid. Exactly. <laughs> that that's the difference between high school and like last year of university kind of thing. Mm. Um and I don't think I realized they were the same like canon in the same series <laughs> at all because they are well in I a way I, they're I, not. Yes. You know, well, yeah. that's because, a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think I for those of you who haven't seen either of these films or have seen one but not the other, I don't think I can exaggerate how different they feel. Mm. They couldn't be more different vampire films if they tried. Yeah. They're only <laughs> eight years apart and ish based on the same book series because we'll get into that in a moment when we talk about Queen of the Damned. But I had no idea that Stuart Townsend was playing the same character as Tom Cruise <laughs> because why would you? Because it doesn't make any sense. But I remember watching Interview with the Vampire and, and really enjoying it. I know... Like I hadn't really put together. I don't think I realized it was Kirsten Dunst at the time, mm. and I was like, "Wait a minute, she's in Spider Man. Like, <laughs> how, how is she a kid here?" And then, like, what seven, eight years later, she's in Spider Man. Like, she was really young when she was in Spider Man. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Mm. Like, yeah, uh, I was having that conversation yesterday when Emma and I watched how it. How is she a grown up in Spider Man? She got frozen in age as a vampire. That <laughs> exactly. doesn't make sense. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I watched that two but... days ago. How does she get younger? <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think the the performances in the first one, obviously particularly Cruz and Pitt and and the kind of and Kirsten Dunst, the, the main trio, are so good. And like you said, they take themselves seriously enough and that they commit and yet they won to the, the world. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's um, anyway, but yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I the Razzies could... have always been bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they have done. I think they commit to the world and their characters enough that you believe everything that's happening, and you kind of lo- end up losing yourself. Whether it's Active. the flashbacks to yeah, the like eighteenth century, nineteenth century stuff, or the later present day stuff with Christian Slater's like <laughs> reporter character and all that kind of stuff, it makes it so believable because their performances are so good. And then you lose all of that in Queen of the Damned. <laughs> I think it's it's really interesting to talk about how far apart they are in terms of like just feeling like they're from completely yeah. different universes yeah. because it ties back to what we were talking about earlier in this season about films that uh, kind of dictate the culture or predict the culture versus films that are influenced by them because Interview with the Vampire dictated a whole bunch of culture. You know, not necessarily mainstream culture, but like in a certain pocket of, you know, kind of geek or, you know, horror subculture or literary sexy subculture. Mm. Sexy, you can yeah. say sexy vampires. <laughs> sexy vampires. Like, it's incredibly foundational. Whereas Queen of the Damned is so influenced by what was going on at it's the time. It's so 2002. It's yeah. so <laughs> indebted to everything else that is happening around it that it fit like it could only have come out then and you know if it if it was a year either side it would feel like (laughs) weird uh yeah yeah, it's it's fascinatingly a product of its environment i am still amazed it exists i think it's a thing that spiraled me into a few things obviously because you do anything that goes like oh this is really cool you you can say sexy I don't. I think it's the. This is the interesting. Well, not the interesting thing. I've never found vampires. It's weird. I've never found vampires sexy ever. Interesting. I don't give a shit. Not even Stuart Townsend and his string vest. Strangely enough. (laughs) Yes. No. um, I don't. I don't give a fuck about uh, uh, vampires. I I, I find the mythology interesting, but I don't like go. Oh, that's interesting. I better have a wank. Um, It's. It's it's more the sense of like I find the mythology fascinating, but the th- this part of the '90s was also the idea of stepping away from slasher, gory horror. Oh, everything's an adversary. The zombies were out. It became sort of similar to Shape of Water. The transition from this is a monster to be hated and feared to a sympathetic character who is to be pitied and taken in and nursed to help and, oh, and then fucked. Yeah, <laughs> like Shape of Water. Um, and um, yeah. <clears throat> I then started reading the books and I made it through three of them and I didn't fucking like them. We'll come back to that. <laughs> um, but as a production, I think it's interesting because we do talk about the nature of directors. When we talk about the show, like, oh, I, my pick for this director for this film is who the fuck ever. Who are you fixing? Who's you getting to fix this movie? And like, they have no real history of this. Is, is that a cho- that's an interesting choice? I don't know. Mm. And then you say, yeah, because until you put them in a situation, it's what they're capable of doing. Um, so Neil Jordan, for example, who is from Sligo, which is where my family's from, um, which is very small, um, <laughs> he had just done the fucking crying game, um, mm. which is is literally it's literally two years before. Isn't it, it is, yeah. and it's known for one thing only, really. The uh, contemporarily, the crying game mm. is known for oh, a penis. And that's <laughs> that's pretty much all. I mean, that's not true. The crying game is actually a really good and enjoyable film. It's it's really well performed. Um, very interesting story. I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but it's very, very good. Um, transitioning from that, which is set in a sort of contemporary period, to you're going to be given this huge um, period piece of an American movie. It's like, that's 
odd. We're going with an Irish independent director. It's like, yeah, but that's fine. And then he, after that, he did um, Michael Collins, which is like, right, now I've got the, the clout. I want to do a movie about <laughs> the Irish Revolution. And then, you know, and then he did the end of the, end of the, end of the affair with uh, Ray Fiennes and Julianne Moore and stuff. And it, it goes on as his career things and other bits and pieces. Um, then goes back to smaller films and things. And I find that fascinating because Neil Jordan isn't someone you would assume would be a choice for this film at all. And yet the choices he made in terms of how the film is shot, the practical effects all along the way, not, not, not completely Coppola doing Bram Stoker's Dracula in that regard, you know, like using actual, you know, silent movie sort of techniques and early thirties movie mm, techniques, yeah. but doing stuff that look, does feel very, even the night, I mean, if we're, okay, this is, you know, 1994. Jurassic Park came out the year before and people are going to go, put CGI in it. <laughs> and as we'll talk about in next week's episode, fuck off. They did. <laughs> it all looks ass now. But this obviously wasn't that yeah. kind of movie. And the fact that so much practical effects, it was done in such a way, the production design is gorgeous. The sets are amazing. The acting is the, so earnest. The, the lighting, the lighting which is, is a classic stunning. thing in vampire stuff. But like, the, yeah, um, yeah. the, the, the costumes the mist are... the smoke and the one. Yeah, and even like the whole, like, I saw the world with my vampiric eyes. And it's like, what happens then? Mm. Statues look at you funny. Like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I think is, in earnest beautifully crafted as a movie mm. i i think the thing that makes neil jordan make sense is if you go back to the company of wolves oh yeah that makes complete yeah i get it um i think that i think that kind of dark fairy tale mm. feel yeah, yeah. is is the is the reason he got it and the reason it it works um mm. in a lot of ways because yeah he i think as much because he also i believe did some work on the script, mm-hmm. um, even so. though it's a very close adaptation mm. of Interview with a Vampire. There are bits that are changed, um, and we'll get into uh, Anne Rice, I'm sure, mm-hmm. in a moment. Um, but uh, I think I think it is a it's one of those real examples of the director matching the uh, the text yeah. of the movie yeah. so well. I would agree um, with that. And, and just being that kind of uh, marriage made in heaven. So speaking of Anne Rice, um, obviously these are adaptations, both of them. Yes. Um, and sort of. Like Anne Rice is someone who has had a very interesting career. Like the situation she wrote uh, Interview with the Vampire in was incredible. She was just getting over the yeah. death of a child, I believe. Yeah. And yes. that obviously H- influences... the whole Claudia thing. Yeah, her daughter yeah, exactly. the like influences the whole Claudia plot um and has had a fascinating career like she was trying to be a kind of more serious literary author to begin with but kept finding herself drawn to kind of but I want to write about vampires basically <laughs> um and then uh, like agents and stuff like that were like nobody wants to buy this shit and then she finally got Interview with the Vampire published, and it turns out everyone wants to read this shit. And, um, and people insisted, like, well, yeah, it's erotica, right? And she was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very serious story about a oh, man's a, journey there's a coming, to terms with, coming to terms with death and stuff. And she was yeah. like, no, it's, just, it's a very serious novel. But the publishers were like, well, but they're gay, right? She's like, what do you mean? I mean, Louis and Lestat are clearly... Yes, yes, they are. Yes, that's that's exactly the market I was going <laughs> yeah. for. And um, yeah. sexy vampires forever. Yes, that that's exactly what I planned. <laughs> I 
accidentally wrote a bunch of homoeroticism into my very serious novel, and now that's all I write is basically erotica. It's like, yeah. Ah, okay. It's the prosy D. The internet's got a hold of it. Oh no, what happened? They made it fucky. They made it fucky? Yeah, oh god, that's real fucky. <laughs> um, but exactly. she, is, she is also notoriously litigious when it comes to fan fiction. Yeah, yes, um, she is. She, they're, they're, there are still uh, people who were like on the internet during the early days will now go on stuff like Archive of Our Own and see, you know, look at the Lestat Louis kind of tag and see like oh you know there's 20,000 bits of fan fiction written about it and they'll get like PTSD because they just assume that a lawyer is about to kick down a door somewhere <laughs> because because she was so serious about kind of controlling her own material um, Rowling and yeah uh, and went she, through some very, she has the sole rights to the series as well similar to how JK Rowling mm. did yeah and we will get into the rights of the films later on as well yeah. um, and she's gone through some fascinating like evolutions as an author in terms of like that have very much influenced the text like she was raised catholic and yeah, then yep. became an atheist then went back to catholicism rediscovered went, her catholicism which yeah, then, then massively influences mm, the books and then went back to atheism again uh and um uh kind of went through a period of, of doing very trying to do more serious historical novels and she also wrote historical novels about jesus Yes, Christ, the the Christ the Lord series. Mm. Just very 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 brief um, detraction here. I was working in a bookshop when she made that transition to making Jesus books, and I remember <laughs> someone saying, "You put Anne Rice in novels, it's like in fiction." It's like, yeah. So this book in particular <laughs> isn't actually about vampires. Oh, what's about Jesus? <laughs> but he's a sexy gay cool. vampire. I mean, uh, uh. <laughs> um, yeah, and but then also wrote just a whole bunch of monster fucking books yeah you know um and uh she's a she's a fascinating figure um and obviously casts like a huge shadow over both of these adaptations mm -hmm. i think it's interesting that the films and the books like diverge in certain ways as well yes where you have i mean to, to jump to queen of the damned there is a book called Queen of the Damned, which came out, which is the third book in the series. Mm. So you start off with Interview with the Vampire, then uh, The Vampire Lestat, I think, is that's the second mm, one. Right. And then Queen of the Damned is the third <clears> one. <throat> yes. And the Queen of the Damned film is, and I use this term again, not exaggerating, <laughs> an incredibly loose adaptation of both the second and third books. Right. Mm. And it basically takes like the little bits of Lestat that are in Queen of the Damned because he is not the main character in that book in the same way that he is kind of not the main character in the first one. Louis is the main character mm. of Interview with the Vampire. But he's such a, like, he was the popular character, so she kind of obviously did the second yeah, book more based pivot. on him mm. and pivoted, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we're not doing Louis, we're focusing on Lestat. He's the, he's the popular, sexy, cool character. And then the film just goes... I'm gonna take the rock star bit, and then the the Akasha bit, the the, the original vampire bit, and then uh, yeah, we're good, thanks. So are you bringing back the ghost of Claudia or anything or anything like that? Nah, do you bring back Louis or I don't know Armand or anybody? And like, nah, fuck it. So there's so there's this other group of vampires. I'm like, wait, what? And some of the characters are in Queen of the Damned. 
but they're like they have a single line. Yeah, you and, fucking and know in, it. And they're in the background. Yeah. And they're just in the fucking concert scenes, just like yeah, we're here. Yeah, is that, is that yeah, the we don't, Wait, we don't look anything like we did in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, you know. And, or, or, and again, it's not 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 to exaggerate this point, but no one reprises their role yeah. or even <laughs> remotely looks like they should be reprising their role. Yeah. Hey, we should get a guy who looks like Tom Cruise. Nah. We get a guy <laughs> who looks like Antonio Banderas. Nah. <laughs> get, 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 he looks like, I don't know. It's another white guy. What's your problem? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he looks kind of Spanish. Does he, though? <laughs> I don't know if he does. It's like, uh, well, well, in Interview with a Vampire, he was played by Antonio Banderas. So who should we get for this one? Uh, a guy who looks like uh, if Simon Pegg was playing <laughs> David Bowie's drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Put it into perspective, he's an Aussie actor called Matthew Newton, who was... <laughs> Not been in anything, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. He's done like TV and radio bits and like bit parts in films and like short films and stuff. And apparently he's Antonio Banderas. It's yeah. like, I, I'm not convinced that he is, I'm afraid. No. Yeah. And it's, it's not exactly. I mean, this is the, the key thing here. I know you, people can go back to the book and say, actually, this representation is more like the book. It's like, cool. Mm. Don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't work for me. I uh, to to kind of jump back the novels a little bit, mm. uh, and also the difference between Interview and and Queen of the Damned. It is a kind of fascinating example because, like we say, Louis is the main character in Interview the Vampire. It's his story. He is the vampire of the title, and yeah. and he's and the one being know, interviewed. Yeah, yes, it's not Interview with a vampire. It's Interview with the vampire. Something that people often get wrong, and I've definitely got wrong in the past. <laughs> and we we were like when we were prepping for this, we were like. We need to set up a drinking game so that like every every time we get it wrong, there's like an air horn and everyone listening has to do a shot or something. <laughs> um but uh so it's it's Louis' story to start with. And then there was a fairly big gap, I believe, between Interview with the Vampire and The Vampire Start coming out. And basically in the time in between, Anne Rice decides, Well, I want the start to be the main character, but he's kind of a shit heel in in interview. So what we're going to say is, well, that was just Louis's version of events, which yep. it technically is because there is that framing narrative of him giving the interview. Yep. Yeah. But we're going to basically say, oh, Lestat wasn't as bad as, as Louis made out. Also, some of the events that happened in interview just straight up didn't happen. And Lestat <laughs> is going to be like, no, Louis made all of that up. Also, there's going to be like a whole bunch of other vampire lore and uh, biographies for other vampires. Like, from what I understand, Queen of the Damned is basically like an anthology of different vampire histories with a loose connecting narrative. If I remember and, correctly, yeah. And so, like, the idea of trying to adapt it into a film is already a challenge before we get into the the choices that were made. Because yeah. um, the focus on Akasha in Queen of the Damned, the book means that it focuses on that time period and you get her origin story and by the way she's one of the original vampires so you get the origins of the entire history of vampires mm. basically and that as you said this book is like this weird bio biographical anthology history spanning thing of like how vampires came to be and how she is resurrected in the future and all this kind of shit and then as you said in vampire the start it's like well None of that. It's, it's all retconned and rewritten again mm. and again. 
and you can use that excuse, like you said, of the, the the interview being the kind of framing for the for the first story. I'm fine with that, but you kind of need to address it in yeah. the film. Or it works. In a, it works a lot better in text than it does in the film, yeah. where they don't exactly. bother to do any explanation. Um, We've where they don't fucking mention anything at all. <laughs> and I think Louis has said once in the entire film, if if maybe not at all. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, did the first film happen? In this universe, is this a separate thing? Well, yeah, and it's it's quite like you know we mentioned like oh it's it's billed as a standalone sequel. It's like yeah, because if you expect them to have continuity between the two, <laughs> they fucking don't. Like yeah. we've seen Lestat in the eighties, like the the last time we see him in an interview with a vampire, he is killing Christian Slater in nineteen eighty nine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in the in uh Queen of the Damned. He's been asleep for a hundred years and then wakes up in 2002 and goes, hey, what's this rock and roll music I'm hearing? <laughs> exactly. This, so he's this, been hanging this, out in an empty building for the yeah, last like, 30 years. Yeah, this subcorn is, uh, you know, uh, exactly what I needed to stir me from my eternal slumber. Honestly. Honestly. I, I couldn't believe, when I researched the book, I couldn't believe that the rock star thing is a thing that comes from the books. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I Same had assumed, here. oh God, that's a thing they did for the film because it's 2002. And they yeah. Went, oh, no, no. And as you said, Tim, the first book came out in the 70s, in 1976, mm. and then followed up in 1985. So there was a nine-year mm. gap yeah. between those first and second books. And then she fucking churns them out every couple <laughs> of years for the last 30 years. I understand why Interview with the Vampire would have been a big hit in, in, to a degree, because it was a hit with me, I guess. But then it was like, What's the one that sold really fucking well at, at the time? The Vampire Stats, like the the hair metal eighties one, that one. Mm -hmm. The Vampire Stat is the one where it gets a lot more canonically queer. Yeah, like he yeah. has a boyfriend as a human, and that is the love of his life, and like a significant factor in him becoming a vampire. So I, that was possibly a factor in it taking off because it was it was essentially giving the audience exactly what they wanted at that point. So we should probably talk about Queen of the Damned. <laughs> so so i always think of this film as a jonathan davis music video <laughs> and i say that as like oh it's jack being exaggerating mm. for comic effect again Tr tron legacy is just the daft punk music video <laughs> it is by the way it is Not that that's a bad thing but it is but it's such an interesting choice and i know we have definitely kind of like touched on this before with people singing voices coming out of their actual faces uh, like having Stuart Townsend sing with like multiple people's voices yeah <laughs> like oh he sings as Jonathan Davis in the next song who thought this was a good idea just have Stuart if he can sing I, I assume he can't because they didn't let him <laughs> let him fucking sing it and do it that way so I have I have a lot to say about this <laughs> I'm sure you do um this mostly comes down to rights. I mean that in the terms of everything. So the film, Queer of the Dam, was arguably made because Warner Brothers were running out of the contract and needed to make something. Mm. Not arguably made. It is very clearly yes, made. It is that. Because the, the quote from Anne Rice, sorry to jump on no, you. No, go, go, ahead, go ahead. I was reading about this earlier this morning. Yes. The quote from Anne Rice is that they had to... Um, go into actual production and principal photography before the end of the year 2000. Otherwise, the rights for everything, the entire series, The Vampire Chronicles, reverts back to her solely, and she has full control over it. And Warner Brothers were like, 
uh, no, fuck you, we can milk this for a little bit more. They didn't really, but you know. <laughs> and and they basically, out of spite, churned this film out in like 18 months and were like, oh shit, we need to do a thing before we lose the rights, which is uh, not uncommon in, in Hollywood. There's, mm. uh, there's a reason there's been a, about three Fantastic Four films recently. <laughs> that's always yeah. the best example, and, yeah. And, ver- and various other things, but that's kind of like, you know, in our sphere, that's probably the most obvious example mm. in recent times. Mm. A lot of this shit happens, and again, it's the politics bullshit that is happening in the background that you have to deal with this, like, oh, and the studio churned it out and it's a shit film, but they've still got the rights, so they did mm-hmm. that, to, so they have, mm. you know, the merchandising rights and all that bullshit, so they can still make their money from it. Yeah, and, and, and did it for, comparatively, obviously we're still talking about big sums of money, but comparatively, dirt cheap. Yeah. Um. As one video that I watched pointed out, this had a $30 million budget oh, the year yeah. after The Adventures of Pluto Nash had a $100 million budget. Yeah. <laughs> and that $30 million budget, by the way, is half of what Interview with a Vampire had. And, I'm, mm. you know, uh, eight, eight years ago. Eight years, yeah. So, in terms of inflation, it's Every, even more. Everything than that, about yeah. this movie is like, eh, I don't give a fuck. And unfortunately, it comes across. But with regards to the singing voice, however, so big corn fan at the time. I still have my cycle. And I remember very distinctly on a Monday morn, because at the time I was working at a bookshop, I got Mondays off, Mondays and Tuesdays. I took a bus into the city of Norwich, went to HMV, bought the soundtrack to this movie. What a soundtrack. Yeah. And I played it on my CD player on the way home, my portable CD player. You stuffed it into your pocket and your pocket Ripping was your trousers to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Ripping your jeans off. But I know exactly what you mean. Make sure you've got the uh, uh, anti-jog and, and, skip and, the, yeah. and the, uh, the bass <sighs> yeah. booster on. Yes. yes. I had both of them. I fucking Sony, used to walk the dog with my Sony Walkman stuffed down my jeans. Skipping yeah. every <laughs> thing, covering up the CD. So yep. the interesting thing was that on the CD... Um, Jonathan Davis does not feature at all. So the music I was getting used to was with substitute vocals from people like Wayne Static of Static and David Drayman of Disturbed, (laughs) Chester Benton of Lincoln Park, Marilyn Manson, and uh, Jay Gordon of Orgy. Now this is because this is a Warner Brothers soundtrack and um, Jonathan Davis is a Sony uh, was it Sony B, BG, mm, B, BMG, Sony BMG. BMG. Yeah, he's yeah. one of those people and it's like you contractually cannot appear in the same way you know contractual rights mean this thing so I was getting used to these songs I thought these are actually okay songs I actually enjoy these they're quite cool and I had other things on there like uh, uh, you know Cold by Static X and other bits and pieces and um, other things like, uh, Deftones on those like oh this is a cool little album and it, it did actually do really well in terms of like fans thinking this is fucking cool I can't wait to see the movie now Interview with Vampire came out November at the time of release. So it was a really, you know, autumnal, wintry kind of gothic thing. If I remember correctly, I think it was March or April when it came out, because it's a dumping ground and we don't give a shit about this movie. <laughs> and it was not a really appropriately spoopy time. Um, so I was getting used to these songs. I thought, these are really cool. I like them a lot. And then the film starts. And I had two major issues to start with. And these are so stupid and petty. These are fanboy nonsense things um the story the setting the the production design the shit we're going to get to in a second but why this is a bad movie wasn't what was hacking me off the guy who wrote the fucking songs these other you know uh new metal sort of uh recorders of the time are like yeah i can make that i can i can impersonate your voice i'll do a sound and david draymond's like you know in an interview says you know jonathan david's a corn is one of the reasons i got into this type of music 
yeah, yeah. happy to come on board and do the vocals for whatever his track was, Forsaken or something. Then you hear that track in the movie and it's fucking terrible. It's the same song, <laughs> but Davis's vocals sound like nonsense because Draymond and Static and, and, and uh, Bennington, they all sing normally, shall we say, with their own voice. Whereas Davis's versions isn't even like what you'd expect next on a Korn album. He's going for something he's trying to be a vampire, trying to get into the character, whatever the fuck ever it is. And it sounds dumb, and I hated it. I don't think there's a single <laughs> version. And maybe the Marilyn Manson one is very similar because of the fact that they have a sort of maybe similar voice in a weird way. But it's so disparate. I'm like, I hate all these so much. I like these songs, and you're making me hate them. And you wrote them. I don't understand. Yeah. And then... You have the added bonus that Stuart Townsend has already in his head what his character is and will make no effort to match that. <laughs> so, for example, this is a really strange digression here. In an episode of a science fiction TV series where you inevitably get a body swap episode because it always happens. <laughs> of course. You can yeah. tell. That's the rules. Let's say like Red Dwarf, for example. They have a body swap episode between Rimmer and Lister. And it's very clear one's just literally just reading the lines. You, you know hello, oh, I'm doing this. Whereas the other one is doing an impression of the other one. And with mm. that, you get more of a vocal movement. You get more of a, it, it feels like you're actually doing more of a, for lack of a better word, your mouth is moving properly. And you actually yeah. are going to be able to imitate the actor very well. And again, on a sci-fi show, you have a body swap. It works because they know the actor. An, an interesting example of that is, I always think of the, when Bellatrix Lestrange and Hermione swap round and Emma Watson and um, Helena Bonham Carter were on set for each other's bits mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to like watch their movements and stuff. Mm -hmm. So you see like Helena Bonham Carter playing her own character, Bellatrix Lestrange, via Hermione Granger. So she like imitates her mannerisms, but then has to try and stick to her own mannerisms, but do her impression of her own thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really well done. I, I really appreciate the kind of mm -hmm. the, the acting and the craft in that scene, yeah. It's Saruman possessing fucking Theoden. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, not not quite the same, but uh, Tatiana Maslany in Orphan Black, oh, where yeah, she's absolutely. playing multiple different characters who are all clones. No, completely but, different characters. But then she'll yeah. also play one clone pretending to be another clone, and yes. you can tell, like they are do they are doing a performance of. That that other character, but you can see that it's her doing. Yeah, it's so so multi layered. Yeah, yeah, and none yeah. of that comes across in Stuart Townsend's performance. <laughs> no, <laughs> and it makes it even more disconnected. So if you, for example, yeah. feel like you're watching an old martial arts film from the fucking seventies, and there's a really ropey fucking ah yes, hello, I'm coming from the back, and I will fight you. And it's like, what is this? What is this? It's like, well, it just said do a voiceover for it. It's like, okay, why yeah. did you choose that? And it's it's all kinds of, you know, examples of how you can do this. But in this particular instance, you had both of them available. Why didn't you have a thing where he'd like just watch Jonathan on stage or something? Uh, so where Stuart Townsend would watch Jonathan Davis on stage and see how he moves. It's like, no, because I already have my character in mind. And I thought how I'll make the voice like, ah. it's like, that's not how it, it literally doesn't work. It feels like ADR that isn't working. We're like... It's it's a sign of how like wrongheaded this film production was yeah. that uh it's it's very centered on music and the one actual musician on the cast d 
does not sing. Um, uh, but true. we'll get into Aaliyah's performance because, like, that's the one that's bright the saving spot, grace. I think, in this She, she in is this the saving movie. grace, absolutely. Um, but the 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 problems with the vocal performances are uh, worsened by the fact that so much of this movie is ADR'd so poorly. Yeah. Um, it is it is like watching a old dubbed kung fu film mm. at certain points yeah. because the and it it does that terrible thing where there has been no effort to make the to treat the sound to make it match up with the environment or the positioning the blocking of the actors yep. you're it's, talking my language tim we, we talked about this in dark knight rises we mentioned it's yeah. by fucking pain all over again yeah <laughs> It's Tom Hardy in a vocal booth where Bane is in a very echoey hallway yes. and nothing changes and it yes. drives me fucking mental. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this film is so bad for it. It's so distracting throughout the entirety of the film. There, It feels like there's maybe like four scenes in the whole thing where they actually recorded the audio <laughs> on the set. <laughs> it's I I mean like I wonder I mean, to if be fair, like... they could they could do a lame is and just get everyone to sing live on the set <laughs> and that went horribly wrong as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, you I just wonder like did did like did was did the no sound recorder just like yeah. drunk at work and just like for, always forgot to press record or like <laughs> there was a you know there was some problem with the computers and all the files got wiped because it seems like so ridiculous that so much of this movie has to be ADR'd so poorly. I have a theory. It's a very simple theory, and there's no founding basis to it whatsoever. Always the best kinds of theory. I blame the director. Um, because <laughs> any sound person will say things like, you either have someone who's like, just a terrible fucking sound design, you don't know until you're in post-production, like, oh, fuck, all this is terrible. Oh, God. Entirely possible. Or alternatively, you get someone as a director saying, ah, yeah. That's good. Move on. And Santa's like, uh, we're gonna have to wait. We have to get some load of like, you know, just just room tone. We're gonna have to get all these things. I swear to God, I can hear everything. That fridge needs to come up. We're we recording crowds. Mm. What the fuck? We're, gonna, <laughs> we're by a roadside. No, I, you won't get any of the dialogue. And the director's like, eh, it'd be fine. It's fine. Let's move on. Move on. Move on. That's where I think this. We've got the shot. Right. It's fine. Yeah, and, and and probably a lot of budgeting as well. Oh God, it's yeah. like we haven't got time to worry about exactly. that. Exactly. We, mm. We've got. 18 days to shoot this in, and then we run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. And this whole movie, because of those... Uh, I mean, I, I rambled about my two petty things when I was a kid, but then I watched it because I was like... Um, hang on, it was 2002, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. I was 18 yeah. years old. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so I saw it, and I realized I didn't like it. I realized it was bad, but I liked the music from the soundtrack specifically, <laughs> and I yeah. also liked as we'll get to in a minute some of the performances so i was like i would still watch it almost like a hate watch it so it it frustrated the absolute fuck out of me um and became a thing i just didn't talk about i had it on dvd i have sorry have it on dvd <laughs> this, this the original sort of card fold so so do we yeah war brothers yeah but it, it you're right I, i'm not one of those people like oh it's so good it's like no it's shit it's absolutely shit it's <laughs> It's badly constructed. The cinematography is laughable. The script is painful. The dialogue is awful. The delivery is terrible. Um, the performances are nonsense. Its place in its own canon is ridiculous. Everything about it is bad, except for the visual effects are fucking horrific. Oh, they are <laughs> terrible. Compared to the practical ones from the first Entirely. It's, it's a huge yeah. difference, isn't it? And the score, I mean, just talking about, you know, not the music, the score 
um, I think it's Elliot Goldenkull in the first one who did like uh, Batman Forever, which is another really, really good Batman score. Mm. Um, he did Interview the Vampire. And it's very moody and 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 uh, appropriate for the sort of aesthetic they're going for. Mm. But this one is obviously yes, you know, Jonathan Davis is very heavy, but it's also Richard Gibbs, and it's like it's weird. It's so flat and dull. <laughs> it's like almost like light motifs of the songs we're about to listen to. Um, most of it just doesn't have any presence. It's just like, you know, almost like it's trying to jump scare you into enjoying things. It's just a very, very badly constructed movie, in my opinion. Mm. I'm kind of fascinated by the uh, the cult following that this film has. Yeah. Because, because as I was watching it, I was like, the <laughs> the problem with this is that we don't give goths enough content. <laughs> because because it's it's like if you if you only get a meal every week then everything you the, the the things that you get are going to taste like a feast because you just haven't had any food in a while do you, do you mean like um, superhero fans in the early 2000s where you're like yes. no 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 daredevil's good and i was one of them yes. saying that i still say that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but then i was thinking it through and i was like no wait a minute this was made in 2002 you had fucking the matrix you had the Blade films. You had Buffy the Vampire Slayer was on TV at this point. Like, there were plenty of other better options. Like, I know they're not quite specifically in, as in that complete niche as uh, this film is. Sleepy Hollow but, would come out. You'd have a really yeah. mopey kind of... Yeah, you could do stuff with that. Yeah, there's so many things that are adjacent to or, you know, mm. cover certain angles that this film is is kind of uh, completing. You know, yes. the, the, if if... If uh, Queen of the Damned is your central crossover point of a Venn diagram, mm-hmm. there were plenty. The the circles containing other stuff were big and full at this point. Precisely. So it's not like this was the only film coming out at this time or bit of media coming out at this time that was catering to this audience. As as diverse, obviously, as media production is at the moment, you know, there's something for everyone out there mm-hmm. if you can track it down on dozens of streaming services. Of but like. Like a film like this feels like it hasn't come out in a long while, yeah. whereas in two thousand and two there was a decent amount of stuff. That's true, and, and like I was saying about the nature of where the um, the original uh, Into the Vampire came from was the idea that it's like there were lots of big prestige period things. They just sort of went on a roll with it. It's like what the mm. fuck, and a lot of gothic horror kind of thing with like, oh, we're going to do Bram Stoker's Dracula, we're going to do Frankenstein now, we're going to all revisit yeah. all these pieces. And you're like, okay, I mean, there was a film called Wolf with jack nicholson yeah. and you're like yeah. really it's 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 the it's the nature of studios getting and on the, a train. uh the julia roberts oh, dr jekyll fucking hell one. what the hell is that called mary something or other uh mary riley yeah, or something like that terrible yeah. movie but queen of the damned um is is like anything people will say that ghostbusters is their favorite film fine people say ghostbusters is the best film ever made shut the fuck up um, just because you discovered it as a kid and you really enjoy it, that doesn't mean it's the best thing ever made. And we'll come back to this with the in-season content in the future, but the idea that you go back and look at a film and you have to put yourself in the mindset of the, the time period to understand why it was popular, successful, or, or, or even just made. And Queen of the Damned being a huge cult hit for certain people, I do kind of understand, but starved for a crossover of seeing their particular love of music or specific genres of music, and their particular love of being 
an outsider, which is what vampires tend to always rope into a vet mm. of, of, of most recent years. And it represented them like, yes, I love it. It's like, yeah, but it's not good. It's like, yeah, but I've watched it so many times that it became good. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that like an old jumper can be incredibly unfashionable, but also weirdly comfortable. <laughs> it's because you've just worn it so many times that it's... I'll, I'll tell you what fucks me off about jumpers. <laughs> this is the content people came here yeah. for. I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like that films, especially mostly American films, will use some character backstory uh, exploration by having someone who's a lawyer or a marine. Uh, they're in, like in their house and they're comfortable and they're thinking about things and they're maybe writing a journal or writing an article. Whatever the fuck they're doing, researching, who knows what it is, but they're doing it in their fucking university hoodie. And I'm like, I hate that. Yeah. I hate that so much. And it's in everything. How else would you remember what university you went to? Yeah. And that time when you researched that thing, unless you wear the clothes you were wearing when you did. Do people do that? Wear like hoodies from the uni they went to and just like still sit in it and go, yeah, mm. I, uh, as, I, as I may have mentioned in the past, I studied in America for a year and I literally bought a sweatshirt with the <laughs> university stuff on it because I'd seen so many films with that in. It's a trope. Uh, I don't... So I do I do still have that jumper uh, hanging in my uh So when you're sitting around writing pictures and doing research, do you get it out as like your research jumper? I mean, I don't think it fits me anymore is the problem. <laughs> it's always, that's what I always find I think strange. it would be an incredibly could, uncomfortable you? jumper. <laughs> Fucking jumpers. Like wearing your little research crop top. Like. <laughs> yes. But we should talk about the one good thing, the universally agreed good thing about this movie. Um, so... <sighs> it's hard to get into this because the film talks about it. It's like, oh, we're putting it out in her name. And it's like... Yeah, it feels like more like an insult than anything else. And um, yeah. she was going to be in The Matrix. And it's like, yeah, the sequels were crap. Um, but effectively, R&B artist Aaliyah, who I had seen at that point in Romeo Must Die, oddly enough. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, because I like my martial arts films, and that's not really one of them. But <laughs> it was like, oh, Jet Li's in you know more Western films. I watch them, but she had genuine talent and was genuinely. And you know, someone's really fucking. We talk about this with other individuals who come out unscathed, keep going being bad films, and you go, yeah, but they were fucking good. They gave it their not like mm. gave it their all like hammy, but they were like they committed to the role, delivered what they were doing, stood out as really fucking good, and survived this fucking disaster in sense of like you know. Very fucking poor choice of words. <laughs> Survive the sense. Yeah, surviving a disaster is yeah, not sorry. a good choice of they, words. They, 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 they came out unscathed. No, there's nothing I can say. They looked good in the movie, did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is the real life tragedy of uh, the plane crash that took Liga's life. And it's, it like, it, it speaks to her, like, the just the quality of her performance mm. in this that she's only in the film for about 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and she is like the thing that stands out more than anything else in this film. Like apart from maybe the soundtrack, if it's the thing that you associated with at the time, True. but her performance is so like magnetic and like the kind of the, the, this physicality she brings to it. That's kind of sexy, but also intimidating. Like A snake. it's, it's, yeah, a very, very snake-like. Mm. Um, I don't think snakes are sexy, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's terrific in it. And it is, it's a real tragedy because it's one of those things where you're like, was this just the perfect matchup of, like, performer and... and uh, 
actor yeah. and performance. It felt where, like lightning in a bottle, right? Where there's just yeah, this yeah, moment. like yeah. or was she actually like an incredibly talented actress? And this would have been her breakout role, and she would have gone on to do other amazing stuff. Mm. And it is, it's a real shame. And you know, obviously, she was a very talented musician as well, despite not being. I mean, she kind of dances in this film a bit. She has, <laughs> she has a very she rides. Dancer-like movements in this. Mm. Um, But they don't get her to sing, despite the fact that it's a film dominated by music. But anyway, wrong wrong type of music, I guess. Um, But no, it's it's, it's a real shame. And you do feel that kind of when someone is cut down in their prime, you know, it's it's always a great shame. And, And to have this as sort of a relic of her talent is in a way it's a shame it's in such a terrible film but the fact that she's so good and manages to in a way like elevate the film you know she she is worth you know whatever you score it at she is worth like a solid star's worth of of (laughs) yeah of kind of uh quality in this film speaks to how good she is in it and to put it into perspective she was 22 when she filmed this and and also when she died bonkers she's so young but has such an incredible like presence Mm. like you said just this captivating intimidating figure and i can't imagine what it would have been like if if cruz was back as lestat it'd be such a weird combination but i can still imagine her being the scene stealer the the Mm. show stealer, the whole thing well she'd fit in with it because it's that 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 but this is this is again this circles back to a very good point Interview, and I hate this is going to be a technically maybe a pun. I don't fucking know. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Technically, Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Damned are practically night and day. They are so disparate. Ah! Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did did there. But they they are so disparate. They are so different. And they couldn't be, and I mean in terms of tone, presentation, absolutely, execution, everything. Like like we've said already a few times. If you didn't know they were connected, you wouldn't think they were connected. Mm. If you name that vampire anything else <laughs> bob the fucking vampire in queen of the damn my name is bob <laughs> completely different like franchise doesn't matter just name it anything that not that's not mm, lestat yes. which is such a weird name it kind of like oh there's two vampires called lestat well no there's obviously <laughs> not if there's two if there's two bob the vampires be like and then and then going back to alia like she died after the Photography was finished before the release of the film in late 2001, as you said, Matt, in a plane crash. And it's just this crazy thing of like, and as you said, Tim, like, would she have gone on to do great things? Because she was so young and so, kind of, like you said, she'd been in a couple of things and her music career had had its ups and downs and the whole thing with R. Kelly, we will not get into, but there's this whole promise of her future that could have been this amazing it's the idea of did we lose a James Dean? Did we lose a River Phoenix or a Heath Ledger who had already yeah. established themselves? Or did we lose a moment where like Meatloaf happened to be really good in a few films he was in? But it doesn't matter because you'd still have a music career that would have gone further anyway. That's yeah. the thing. Of, like, yeah. Which, would yeah. she have focused on? Maybe she would have transitioned into being an actor entirely and just left her music behind or, mm. or stuck with music. Mm. Done a, like, a, like a Donald Glover, Childish Gambino kind of Possibly. dual yeah. Yeah. career mm. kind of thing. Mm. And you know, as we know with Donald Glover, he flip-flops and is like, oh no, I'm, 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 I'm working on music for a bit. Mm. Oh no, now I'm doing a TV show. Now I'm doing music for a bit. Now I'm back. Now I'm in Spider-Man. Now I'm in this. Like, he does an interesting thing where he doesn't really 
like do two things at once. Obviously, he's, he's doing a million things at once, mm. but like he tends to choose for a few years. I'm going to make an album, and I'm not going to be in any films or anything. And then he comes back, and then he releases this incredible album you didn't know he was even working on because he'd just been doing films for a few years. I'd be really intrigued to see where her career would have gone mm. and whether this would have been like her standout performance or she had incredible mm. promise in the future mm. for, I don't know, like thinking of like roles that like people like Rihanna had, had been in and things like that. She's the both, um, Barbadosian, I don't know, both from Barbados mm. and both very like, you know, young, talented it's a singers. Good, interesting point. Yeah. Because they're like, would she have gone on to things like that? Exactly. And That's exactly the kind of yeah. thing. Would she, would she show up in the classic battleship movie? <laughs> but thinking of those, like, yeah, where you get those, like, female driven, influential movies that we've had, obviously not in 2002, but since 2002. Ocean's 8 is a perfect example. Bridesmaids, all this kind of stuff, where we had this kind of uh, reinvigoration of, of female power and female directors and writers in cinema and all this kind of stuff and, and starring roles would she have fit into that narrative really nicely and just kind of been you know and really nice integral part to that movement that happened in cinema over the last 10 15 years that she unfortunately never got to experience mm. i think that'd be a really interesting we did the thing we talked about River Phoenix of like, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. changes in history of cinema. Like if River Phoenix didn't die, what would have happened and all this kind of stuff? Would Joaquin's, you know, it's a whole thing. We're not going to get into it. Mm. We've already covered it on a previous yeah. episode. But well, she'd be in her, she'd, be, she'd be 42 now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 So she's only slightly older than people like Rihanna mm. and, and, you know, other mm. R&B artists who have transitioned into acting and stuff. Mm. But, it would be very interesting to see what she would have done in the past, you know, nineteen years or so. Mm. But yeah, I think I think it it speaks to her. This was like this was literally her second film role. Yes, and we are capable of. It, it is so good that we are capable of talking about like, oh, you know, imagine this long career she could have had if she had chosen to continue as an actress, which was her second career already <laughs> yes. at the age of twenty two. You know, like it. Yeah, she'd been making music since she was fifteen, something like that. Yeah, mm. absolutely crazy. And it and it it it's such a shame that it's stuck in this god awful fucking film. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and to put that into I don't mean everybody, every fucking musician writes songs when they're fifteen. I mean she released her first album, yeah. actual proper <laughs> yeah. album, when she was fifteen. Mm. Not she's sat in a bedroom writing songs like yeah. <laughs> she actually got released and no, not not YouTube fame as a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I wonder exactly. if she would have released a Bond song, like one of the Daniel Craig's, possibly. I know she it, could have been a Bond girl. It's as well. entire, this is entirely hypothetical nonsense. You know, that's all you can do. But it also became she could have been a, a Bond girl that also sang the theme. That, that would have been, been cool. Actually. But yeah. it's one of those weird moments where you think to yourself, any time an actor dies, like let's say for example, you talk about uh, the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, uh, technically oh, yeah. the last one with Heath Ledger. And other people coming on board to help out with the role to sort of carry on. Just the, tying back, Heath Ledger was mm -hmm. nearly cast as Lestat very instead true. of Stuart Townsend. And like, yeah. that would have been a very interesting performance. I don't I think mean, it would have been appropriate for this film at all, but fucking go that yeah, one. I'm, I'm, I'm not going back to your crow pitch there, Matt, where we all yes. went, of course, of course it's Heath Ledger. Yeah. Who else is it going to be? And we all just went, yes, exactly, I would have picked <laughs> Heath Ledger. Because if you're gonna if you're going to recast Lestat as a sexy rock star in 2002... Mm. Heath Ledger's your man. That's what I'm saying. Boy to go with. Get him doing the Crow sequel yeah. and and the interview <laughs> with the vampire sequel. Oh, he's cornered the sexy goth market. He, 
cornered it sounds a bit too close to a pun for me, sir. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I was going to say that in the movie Imaginarium, Dr. Manassas, it deals with a lot of, I know it's not necessarily directly related, but suicide and death, and does, spoilers, lead to the death of that character, that person, who is again dead. You think, do we release this movie? Is it sensitive? What do we do? Oh, just, in the same way, like, there is a big dramatic death scene for Queen of the Damned. Obviously, nothing even remotely close, but it's one of those movies they think, is this going to be horribly insensitive? And the answer is yes, because Queen of the Damned is shit. But at the same time, no, because it's so disconnected and she did such a great job, then it stands in its own merit. And it's also, it's so bad, it's laughable that this yeah. would have like that emotional impact on people exactly. kind of thing. You know, like it's, yeah, it's, um, but it, it, you know, it is that thing of like, oh, to, to be in a film that's so dealing with themes uh, as poorly as it does, but yes. it's dealing with themes of stuff like immortality and like, you know, uh, sort of better to, better to burn out than fade away kind of yeah. stuff um, is very on the nose for it to yeah. be the film that you make just before you die. But. Precisely. So vampires live forever and have lots of money most of the time because it just accumulates wealth by just sort of sitting on stuff and hoarding and then things just become collectible items. Oh, we aren't vampires and we need to pay the bills. So it's time to do the ad roll break. Our first sponsor is Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium. Plus get access to Stitch Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, so much more. Um, it's only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, which is a fantastic deal. We could all agree on that. You go to stitcher.com slash premium, sign up today. If you do that, if you use the code sequelizers, you know how to spell it, you get a month free on us. I'm sure there's plenty, plenty of Vampire Chronicles and vampire-based shit for you to absorb and enjoy. Our second sponsor for today, Tim and I were discussing this earlier, thanks to Twilight, we know that Washington vampires are great baseball fans, but down in New Orleans, they love basketball. With that in mind, today's episode is brought to you by the NBA Store. A new year brings the start of a new NBA season, apparently. Suit up with the latest gear to show your support for your team. You may be sidelined from going to the arena, but that doesn't mean you can't watch basketball from the sofa in style. We teamed up with the NBA and Podgo to bring our listeners 75% off selected items, which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, you heard that right, by the way. Go to podgo.co slash NBA for 75% off certain items from the NBA store. The NBA, where amazing happens. And sometimes vampires. <laughs> <laughs> so before we fix this film, we should cover the Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I will be uh, administering and, and judging this part of the show. And you guys are getting, just so we know, very clean, very simple. Interview the vampire. Queen of the Damned. That's all it needs to be. So there's there's no other ones in the there's series. There's no sneaky there's X ones because yeah. the okay. thing I thought about this there's so many vampire things I could have gone with. I thought, nah, keep it clean. I uh, I I did wonder if you were going to throw uh, Neil Jordan's other vampire film into the mix. Byzantium. Byzantium. Mm, I had oh, considered wow. it, and then I thought, nah. <laughs> <laughs> keep it clean. Gentlemen. Keep it clean. Nice and simple, straightforward. These two films are so fucking separated from each other as it is i don't just throw a third one in <laughs> what have you thrown in here as well i've thrown in days of thunder with tom cruise why just big fucking cars <laughs> just because i fucking love cars days of thunder nights of thunder <laughs> well, if you want to continue the tom cruise has silly prosthetics you do tropic thunder as well <laughs> so um, i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in there 
please do. I'm going to say, I think this film would be pretty well received because it is good. Talking about Interview with a Vampire. Yes, obviously. Obviously yes, not yeah. Queen of the Damned. Um, but I do think it. If there's, there's always going to be those people who are like, mm, it's a bit gay and it's got vampires in it. <laughs> Um, I couldn't agree I think, more, Tim. I couldn't agree which more. Which I think will hurt it. Yeah. So I think it's going to be... Uh, but there's also retrospective, which I'm sure will be you a lot kinder. steal my number. I've got a number in my head. I'm going to go for a nice round 80%. Oh, okay. Thank God. Okay. I had I had 70% in my brain you for some reason. Because I thought, like, I'll go for 70. You don't want to 69, dude? Oh, let's go. Let's go sixty nine. Yeah, you gonna do that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Just you know, nice. again, whatever happens number wise, I'm not gonna be held responsible. Um, I should have gone for sixty nine. Let's be honest. <laughs> but it, my thinking is it very similar to you, Tim. That it is a good film, but I think a lot of people wouldn't like it because it's a period piece and it's sexy vampires, but it's not like really sexy vampires. Like, there's no actual kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, they not ne- enough tits. Oh, there's plenty of tits. There's not, not enough, enough fighting well, on an engorged penis because that's what the blood is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of sentences I chose not to say there. Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of people would come at it from different directions and think about like, oh yeah, I really like the books and I, uh, so I enjoy the film. Or people have no idea what it's about and thing like oh, yeah it just didn't it wasn't quite the vampire movie i was expecting like where were vampires in the 90s like bram stoker's before we even dracula get, before we even get to buffy and stuff exactly bram stoker's dracula is the so really just the mopey stuff that, mm, yeah but yeah, Stephen was still yeah. a, uh, uh, bucking against think, that trend as well they were still like no it's you know it's bitey bitey yeah i prefer my vampires when they're played by eddie murphy <laughs> Ooh, Vampire in Brooklyn, good shout. By that mean, wow. what the fuck, Tim? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 69 for me, please, Matt. Okay, mm-hmm. understood. Um, table for one. Right, okay. Um, Queen of the Damned. Uh, it's be a lot I mean, it's, lower. It's, it's gotta be right. It's dog shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say 25. Oh. I'm going, I'm going for a big drop. We're along similar lines here, Tim. I was thinking a 50% drop to 20, but now I've gone 69. It has to be 19, right? So <laughs> 69 and 19 for me, Jack please. Is a I, always think word. It, I, I always think of it in terms of, I know I, I harp on about this a bit much, but like the classic sequelizers drop of mm. like mm. the first one gets whatever it scores, whether it's a, you know, a classic <laughs> 90 something percent, or even if it's 70 something percent or whatever it ends up being, the second or the, the following bad sequel will have a 40, 50, 60, 70% drop off. <laughs> and you get those, you know, we talked about it before, where it's like it drops to zero from 80 something and they're the, they're the real bangers. I think this is like a 40, 50% drop off would be my guess. Okay, okay. Obviously Tim is slightly higher. So I'm going to I'm gonna keep it with a, a flat 50 and go 69 and 19, please. Okay. Um, I will tell you a few things. I don't think Clean Sweep is a... <laughs> It's it's not appropriate for this because at the end of the day there's only two. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's not too bad. It's not, it's not it's not an achievement, shall we say? But it is a clean sweep of sorts. Oh. In that in that uh, one of you got them both closest. Um, of the multiple figures mentioned, no one got it bang on for any of them. Okay, if you want that sort of accuracy. 
I've also added here Metacritic and, and the user score from Rotten Tomatoes because I find these genuinely interesting. The user scores are always yeah. fascinating. And that's why yeah. I didn't want to go into too many I'm other guessing, things because I think... I'm the, guessing Queen of the Damned user score is much higher than the critic score <laughs> because we have a bunch well, of teenage goths going, oh yeah, love it. Well, well. <laughs> the difference for the Rotten Tomatoes score for Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Damned is a drop of 47 Oh, there we okay. go. Okay, okay. And... That's appropriate. Yeah, the good... The, d- the difference between the user score oh. of Interview of the Vampire and the user score of Queen of the Damned on Rotten Tomatoes is 20% drop. I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> That's exactly what I would have yeah. predicted. You those. dumb fucking goths. <laughs> Curse you, teenage goths. So... Oh, what, but by the way, one of my favourite lines in the Wikipedia article is like <laughs> production about how they did the uh, concert scenes. Like they hired oh yeah three thousand a bunch of Australian <laughs> like, goths from yeah and they just go around the bars and were like hey who wants to go see that's a free exactly concert? what they did yep. they they basically just drained the Melbourne goth scene of everybody and was like <laughs> okay can we get every goth in the city to come hang out in the <laughs> desert with us because it's because it's Death Valley but it's filmed yeah, on Australia and like. Yeah. How many goths have you got? <laughs> 3,000 goths? That should be enough. Yeah, yeah. I just, just put 3,000 goths. And they're all like, yeah, it's fine. We were just in a big rave scene in the Matrix Revolution. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> I exactly. do find it fascinating because it's like... We're used to it by now. It's like, uh, are you a goth? Well, no, I'm, I'm more of an alternative. Good or fuck enough? Yeah. If you don't you like wear this. black and makeup, <clears throat> get in yeah. line. We'll take you. Um, I don't remember her name. It's going to fucking bug me now, but I remember very distinctly. In Queen of the Damned is a scene where... Jesse, Jesse, yes, thank you. She goes oh. to see Lestat and she basically dresses up as one of them, a vampire fan. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. And um, she goes like the groupie, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. she goes does. To the, va- the vampire bar. Yeah. And she goes with somebody who I can't remember the name of as an actor. It really is fucking me off. Um, and I thought, hey, that's what's her face from Neighbours. Um, <laughs> Neighbours is an Australian soap opera. Ma- yeah, Marnie Reese Wilmore got there eventually. Um, she is in Neighbours for a long time, role of Debbie or something. Ow. And she had a, a cameo in uh, Queen of the Damned. And I thought, <laughs> what the fuck is she doing here? And I was like, oh, they're filming in Australia. Because usually, like, oh yeah, it's the Australian actress would narrow it down quite a lot. But a bunch of the cast are Australian. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, the, the cast is like half Irish, half Australian for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> and usually Bill for that, okay. but um, I'm not. <laughs> right. So, answers. Rotten Tomatoes. The Rotten Tomato score for Interview with the Vampire is 64%. Oh. So Jack gets that. Okay. I think that's lower than far that's too low. Yeah, that's that's far lower than it should I be. I agree with the user score, which is 86%. That's more like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the Metacritic, by the way, is really strange. Metacritic is... The user score is 8.6 out of 10. You're like, okay. Because they do like... Same yeah. as... Mm. Yeah, yeah, okay, Whereas yeah. the Metacritic Critics is 59%. You're like, wow. Maybe even more. It's, it's very strange. But mm. anyway. Queen of the Damned. Queen of the Damned, for those who have been doing quick maths in the head from what I said earlier, yeah. 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it's appropriate. Yeah. It's appropriate. However, the user score is 66%. <laughs> <laughs> Which is higher than the critic score for Interview with the Vampire. Precisely. That is so fucking That's weird. Insane. That's insane. But Metacritic again. 
Uh-oh. 7.8 from the user's side of things. Fucking hell. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Metacritic gives it a 30%. I'm like, no, I don't. All these numbers that I've mentioned mean so, nothing. So, so the thing, as we know, Rotten Tomatoes is not an aggregate score. It's the percentage <laughs> of positive reviews. We've covered this many times on the show <laughs> before. If it's your first episode, Rotten Tomatoes is weird. It doesn't make any sense. That's why we use it. because It's, it's funny. funny but flawed. Metacritic, however, is an aggregated score of all the average of all the reviews and stuff. <clears throat> and they're like 20 points apart. Fuck right it's off. So that weird. is mental. It's, it's, it's a very... And that's the thing. I think that that sort of serves to highlight a point here. These movies, plural, mm. one being much more well-known, shall we say, and the other one being, you know, a, a very niche release, are very divisive. Mm. Yeah. I don't say they love them or hate them, but they, they very much divide uh, the critical mindset. Like, well, hang on a minute. We can, we can all argue this is good here, here, here. But it's, it's stupid. It's like, do you just not like this because it's vampires? Is that all it says? You could have had a lovely, really period piece set in the seven, late 1700s. It been bloody amazing. But no, you put vampires in it. It's like, yeah, I don't think you get what we're doing. <laughs> I, only, I only liked the part where they had slaves. <laughs> <laughs> the plantation was fine. Oh, Everything else was awful. Oh, God. Or the other way around of like, oh, yeah, I want cool vampires. Why is this a period piece? Go away. I want vampires <laughs> in the 80s. Like, yeah. Yeah. You either have one yeah. or the other. Why do I have to watch this girl play piano? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the um. I, I, I was looking forward to a corn movie. You put bloody vampires in it. <laughs> Are you the same person? Yes. That's a bit strange. <laughs> Are you Jonathan Davis, but with an already bad British accent? Uh, no. Shut I've, up. I've under I've undergone many changes in the past eight years. <laughs> I've grown so now much. I'm now I'm a dancer for Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Anyway, Matt, you're fixing this film. Yes, so I'm I'm fixing this film. Tricky. This I'm was exci- a very I'm excited. Like I said, a very tricky one. I'm very intrigued. Have you gone along with the books? Have you <laughs> gone off on your own mad wacky tangent and gone all new metal on us? Or <laughs> okay, so how how new metal is it? Is the I real got question, rid I of the vampires and made it wacky races, <laughs> um, <laughs> featuring new metal yeah. bands. Uh, no, I I actually had a static the static X wagon. Having said how litigious Anne Royce used to be and possibly still is, f- fair use parody law, blah blah blah. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> the, we, we you can't sue. Oh us. god, this is fan fiction. Oh no, <laughs> no, because we're not really fans. Um, okay, so <laughs> it's um, critic fiction. Yeah, my <laughs> film is about a guy called Lumpstat. <laughs> <laughs> Who is a? It's Lewis and Lumps. <laughs> the, va- the vampire Lumpy, <laughs> and uh, his friend Lewis, played by yeah. Rick Moranis. Um, okay, so <laughs> and it's a remarkable. Fred Armisen and Rick Moranis. <laughs> okay, oh okay. So, um, this was actually very difficult for me. This is my final pitch of the season, and it, it was is. very difficult. I'd say Pacific Rim was my most sort of fun one to do. I enjoyed doing that one a lot. This one was really tricky because it's, there's so much lore. There's so much stuff to dive into. Um, I think we always have one of these per season each. Like, God, there's so much I can do with this. There's so much like stuff. And there's so much fan expectation. Like, well, you have to do this. See, that, that's, that's the thing I often get hung up on, especially with the sequel. Mm-hmm. Less so with the prequels, because I think they're, as we talked about, they're a bit more mis- restricted in the, oh, yes, that you know yes, where yes, the series is going. True. With a sequel, in theory, you could pitch... You could write the sequel to Interview with the Vampire, and 
know nothing about Queen of the Damned, having never seen yes. that film, because you could just scrap the whole thing and fucking ignore it and carry on mm. with, say, you pick up like you release it in. I'm not not spoiling Matt's sure, picture. Sure. I have no idea. As we know, we're oh, going no. in blind still <laughs> from from now on. Um, you release it in 1996, and it is literally picking up the moment where <laughs> Christian Slater and Tom Cruise drive off, and it's it's an 80s adventure with vampires. Mm. Yeah. And it's all and, it's all about Christian Slater's character becoming a vampire or something. Exactly. You yeah. go th- you go through damn the journalist's fucking journey <laughs> of becoming a vampire and is he still the a film journalist is called when he's Dan. a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> the new vampire, Dan. Um yeah. But like and lumps it's, it's about the decline of the print industry <laughs> plus, as plus seen lumpy. through the eyes of a vampire. Oh, oh wow. That would be amazing. Um but yeah, with these sequels, you can do whatever the fuck yeah. you like, as I showed with my Robert the Bruce pitch mm. last yeah. week. It had Robert the Bruce in, but was basically nothing like that film mm-hmm. whatsoever. And with sequels, you can, in theory, do one of you mm. like, especially when they're light on lore and, and like sure, con- sure. continuity and canon mm. and stuff, as, as was the case with Braveheart, as I mentioned on the episode. <laughs> but with this one, as you said, you've got the the tons and tons of weight of the books that especially by now in 2020 there's 13 yeah. of the fucking things including the 12th one which is prince lestat and the realms of atlantis yeah. which i didn't make that up listeners i swear <laughs> to christ the the, the 12th book uh, I should point out, is that that this is, is a warner brothers film so uh we do have jason momoa as aquaman <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you could do I find that fascinating with the sequels. You could do absolutely yes, anything. True, so true. I am very interested to see what direction you've gone in, Matt. I don't know. This one is one where I'm actually. I'm, I'm... Does it have Atlantis? <laughs> not on screen and not mentioned. Oh, so, no. <laughs> does, does Tom Cruise fuck a gill man? <laughs> not on screen and not mentioned. So, not necessarily, no. Um... Lumpy the vampire and the shape of what? <laughs> The shape of the vampire. Oh, we t- we've we've turned it into like Harry Potter and the, <laughs> yeah. the vampire and the prisoner. Of Actually, that's the, that's the, that's the pressure with this one. Um, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Star Trek, Interview the Vampire. Yes, look, they're not the exact same thing, but this is like hundreds of millions of copies sold. International New York Times bestseller. Blah blah blah. It's things, and it, like, even like Batman, it's like, oh, hang on now, you've got all this stuff to draw on. You have to. It's like, well, hang on. So, so anyone going into this, we'll see what happens. But I think for all the possibility, for all the expectation, I went with something that was actually remarkably straightforward. Um, and I want to say a little dull, just because it's like, oh, you didn't do as much as I thought you were going to do. No, I, just, I, I kind of, for lack of a better word, I fixed Queen of the Damned. That's all I'll say at that point. Um, I just changed it from Jonathan Davis to uh, Trent Reznor. Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else that's is the only all, thing wrong with this film. Needs, Everything else is exactly the same. Um, that's why that user score is so damn Okay, high. so I um, had an epiphany at one point because I was like, oh, I want to cast this person, but I don't think he's even born at this point. And I thought, wait, wait. Cinema. <laughs> Time travel. Okay, so. The film is called The Vampire Lestat. I wanted to say Lumpstat okay. so badly. Um, yeah, The Vampire <laughs> Lestat, and it's uh, released Makes sense. in 2018. Wow. Ooh. Okay. So big gap. Big gap. 26 years after the first mm. one. No, 20, 24 mm-hmm. years after the first one. Sorry. And this yeah. is a yeah. big, bold piece of bastard here because I um, 
every, every, I remember when I was a kid, as a teenager, watching Buffy and Angel got older and older and older as David Borealis was aging. I was like, <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be like a mall. Shouldn't like not change? Oh yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, I was, I was 20 when I died. You look fucking 40. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, turns out because he was 40. So uh, mm. there is the question that how do you get a 50 year old looking Tom Cruise to still look exactly the same? Well, I, I said this when Emma and I watched it the other night, mm-hmm. like, Tom Cruise kind of has an age. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt he's, looks he, pretty. He's, he's mm, yeah, mostly he's weird. I think I think Brad Pitt has aged well. Oh yeah, they're like, both incredibly yeah. well. Mm, he's yeah. still incredibly handsome, but Tom Cruise has this weird like. I think he's only just started to look old in the last few years. A few, yeah. But considering the motherfucker is like old at this point, mm. he's been in movies since the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's still doing all his own stunts mm-hmm. and all this kind of crazy shit. Mm. Like, I, one of the few actors you probably get away with is is Tom yeah. Cruise. Like. Give him a bit of makeup. Well, and see here, this is the thing. So, the director. Let's talk about the director first, because I've changed. Mm, it okay. was Neil Jordan, then I changed it. Oh, okay. interesting. I changed from Neil Jordan because I wanted someone who I think was what Neil Jordan was at the time Neil Jordan did Interview with the Vampire. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Basically, I went young and hungry and just just an Irishman. Uh, <laughs> Irishman. <laughs> I went from West Coast to East Coast though. I chose Lenny Abrahamson. So, oh, oh, interesting. Director of Frank and that's that's the film of yeah, his I've very seen weird, I've seen, yeah, odd yeah. Frank side bottom film with Donald Gleeson and um, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender, and, yeah. and he directed Room, weird, with movie. Brie mm. Larson and Jacob Tremblay and stuff. A very different film. Very different film. Yeah, and shows that he has and also not not the Room, not the listeners. Room. No, that's a different yeah. film. Tommy was always not... directing my vampire sequel. <laughs> oh, and he's playing all the vampires. I was going to say, I mean, he practically <laughs> is one, yeah. Except he ages. <laughs> he is from like Transylvania or something oh, weird, isn't he? But he never actually revealed No, where No he's one from. knows where he's from. Oh, I'm, I'm American. You're yeah. like, mm-hmm, sure you are, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so much time has passed being a vampire. Now, this does mean, however, the little stranger he did uh, in 2018 gets bumped. Now, it'll either get delayed Strange. or things. I don't think it was that great, so it's not really a big problem if it does get moved around. Is that the period piece? Yes. Uh, also, we don't know. Yes. And yeah. um, is it Ruth Wilson? Who was in that one? Yep. Yeah, it was Ruth Wilson. And Will Poulter yeah. as well. Love, love it's a, it's an interesting Poulter. sort of feature, sort of like gothic-y kind of horror kind of thing. I'm like, well, let's give him a better project, basically. My project. You want gothic horror? Yeah. <laughs> we got Get you, come. cowboy. So, returning cast. Lestat de Leon Kerr, Tom Cruise. He has done, at this point, The Mummy, American Made, Mission Impossible Fallout. And he's going to go on to do Top Gun Maverick, and that'll be released at some point. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Is this in the Dark Universe? This is the new Dark Universe. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, I think this is probably going to be them saying, fuck, the Dark Universe didn't work. Let's try and just bring mm. it back to what we know works. And we, for some reason, they still have the rights to it. We don't get around to that one. It's just, they do. Um, <laughs> they made a deal with Anne Rice. Who fucking knows? I believe Anne Rice does have the rights back. In in real life, not in, in sequelized in universe. In theory, yeah. there's a TV series, there? a TV series yeah. being made. Yes, the Vampire Chronicles yeah. TV series is being made, right? Yeah, but it has been in production for like five years. Yeah. Or something dodgy. Yeah. yeah. So Louis de Pont de Lac is still played by Brad Pitt at that point, doing Allied okay. and War Machine. He's about to go on to do one Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, and win an Oscar for it. Armand, uh, Antonio Banderas, uh, Beyond the hey. Edge of Life itself, okay. goes on to be Paying Glory. Daniel Malloy. Christian Slater. Hey, Dan's yep. back. Nice. Okay. The vampire okay. Dan. Um, the <laughs> wife, the public, goes on to be We Can Be Heroes. Um, now, 
Christian Slater does not look like Christian Slater of the 90s anymore. His hair's gone too far back. He's gone a bit too Jack Nicholson. I was going to say, mm. Tom Cruise, yeah, he can get away with it. That's fine. Christian Slater yeah. Yeah. looks fairly different to how he did in 1994. This movie is going to be employing a lot of the de-aging technology. De-aging technology? Mm. Right, yeah. right. We're going yeah. down that classic... And I'm, and I'm, I know it's Warner Brothers, but they're not going to hire the same people to remove the mustache from fucking Henry Cavill. This is going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a good job. This is going to be one of those like, oh, we're okay. going to get an Oscar for something. It's going to be production mm-hmm. design or visual effects or something, and they're going to de-age them to look like in the same way that um, in uh, the aging de-aging technology that Fincher used in um, Curious Case of Benjamin Button to make mm. oh, really, yeah. really Rapid. young. A river yeah. runs through it, age, sort of. Uh, Brad mm. Pitt, and it's like, oh, that's fucking creepy. But, you know, so I think with their technology, we can do this sort of thing. Mm. Okay, yeah. New cast. I'm not going to say who these people Here are, just some names. Fans will know what they are or not. Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Gillian Anderson. Oh. She's mm. been Crooked House and The Spy Who Dumped Me. Not a great film. And she hasn't done like Mostly doing TV stuff uh, with... Um, What's that show, Jack, that you like? The Fall? The Fall, thank you very much. She's yes. fucking amazing in The Fall. Yeah, for the she's done that. I think she's... Very, very good in sex education. Yes, oh, exactly. Brilliant so she's been sex doing education as well. Most, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Hannibal. So she's been doing TV stuff at this point. Yeah, Hannibal. Brilliant, yeah. Nicolas de L'Enfant, um, which is the aforementioned boyfriend um, or young lover from, from Lestat's past. Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Returning <laughs> from the Robert the Bruce pitch. Damn right. <laughs> but he's Excellent. like 2018 Timothy Chalamet. He's 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 arrived. Yeah. Um I yeah. like in the universe, he's in both of these films. Yeah. Ladybird, no. Hostiles, Beautiful Boy, goes on to be in the King and Lit Women, and you know, then really yep. picks up speed in Dune and everything. Else. Soon to be in Dune, yeah. 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 Fuck that's gonna be good. Marius de Romanus. Oh, Marius has come back. Okay. 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 Now. Okay. <laughs> You'd think this guy wouldn't touch vampires ever again, but he's Batman, so it's fine. Robert Pattinson. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if I had to do an alternate remake of the... Honestly thought you were going to say Ben Affleck. I was worried. (laughs) (laughs) De-aged Ben Affleck. No, Robert Pattinson. He's been a good time in high life at that point. He goes on to the lighthouse and the king. He would tell you to fuck off. (laughs) No, I I genuinely think Robert Pattinson is one of those individuals who would come back to go, yeah, I'll do it properly. I'll do the thing this time. I think he would, personally. If he was given the chance to do something you different You keep convincing it, yourself of that, Mr. Writer and Direct. I think he can. <laughs> I think he can. Um, so yes, that's my, that's my choice. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I also think if I had to do a remake of Into the Vampire, I would have Robert Pattinson play Lestat and uh, Timothy Chalamet playing Louis. <laughs> I think they'd be oh, perfect together. That'd be so, so gay and I'd be so on board. That's okay. <laughs> These are minor characters, but worth mentioning. Akasha. Oh. Naomi Scott. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just like done Naomi Power Rangers at that point. Goes on to be Aladdin and uh, Charlie's mm. Angels. Also Irish. Um, <laughs> Enkel. Stephen James, who is in Selma and Race. And if Bill Street could mm. talk at Twin Bridges, I fucking love him as an actor. He's really good. Um, and then finally, Magnus. Jimmy Fails. Who I've only seen the last black man in San Francisco. I know he's in Pieces of a Woman, but I haven't seen that yet. So, um, um, yeah, he's a very good, competent actor. But it's a small role that he'll be in. So, yeah. It's more me okay. bringing people of color into this because I want to. And if you've got really old vampires, I'm like, yeah, I feel like if they're from older societies, 
They'd probably be black. Well, they're lit- literally plantation owners in the first one, so yeah. Mm-hmm. The 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 subcontext, or not not sub, but full on text, mm-hmm. is actually in the first one where they have a fucking voodoo ritual, as we mentioned. So mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Okay, okay. So that's my initial Fair. returning cast, new cast, um, director, release year, and title. Um, I'm intrigued already. Preemptive thing here. I have tried to put in stuff from the canon. I've tried no. to salvage bits and pieces and it's so confused about what it wants to be and I thought, let's put that in the film. <laughs> let's keep going with this. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Uh, I, I think uh, the stakes are very high oh, here. fucking hell, Tim. I, should, <laughs> I swear to God, I would break quarantine to slap you in the face. <laughs> I haven't oh, touched dear. another human being outside of my own house for a fucking year, but I would slap I'd you. Make an exception for you, son. You fucking <laughs> pun-riddled bastard. Right. <laughs> There we go. As long as it's got some bite to it, Matt, it's going to be fine. Fuck off. <laughs> Come on, you're, you're stepping up to bat here. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> this first sequelizes walk out. I'm just like, no, fuck it. Read <laughs> <laughs> it yourself, you can't. <laughs> All right, here we go. Opening in the mid-90s, we run through the events of the end of Interview with the Vampire. While driving, listening to Louis' account, Daniel Molloy is assaulted and bitten by Lestat, who offers him the choice he never had. Following a title sequence, Molloy wakes in... Um, Lestat's mansion as a vampire. Now I should point out this will look hopefully through a mixture of like uh, the cinematography and the visual effects and stuff to be like, oh shit, did you shoot this at the time? I, want I was going to say, yeah. I, you're not using the actual footage from the original? or you I are? will use the, the, the opening bit will be footage from the original. Right. And then after the title sequence, it's new footage. But I want it to feel like it's a seamless transition. Okay. So you're going to try and match the kind of like yes. color tones and Every, stuff. Yeah, and like, yeah. Eh, interesting. So very okay. bold because at this point, a '90s setting is a period film. So, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, <We're> so old. <laughs> well, I mean, late '80s, I, early '90s, whatever it's officially. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've called it '90s because I think it was what I went with. Because I don't think it was ever officially established in the original movie. I believe it was, it's late '80s, but it doesn't. Yeah. Mm. Whatever it is, we'll go with that. Yeah, I, I misread. Briefly, there. Not obviously. I'm not reading, but but my eyes turned Malloy into Moby, and Moby awakes in Lestat's mansion. It's a very different film. <laughs> he starts putting on some uh, some samples and shit. And just goes for it. <laughs> okay. Experiencing the world anew, Malloy wanders around the house, finding Lestat laughing at Louis's version of their shared history. Malloy screams out about his fate, but Lestat says that this is what he wanted. He merely gave him a gift. He then goes on to explain he will offer another gift the missing pieces of Louis' story and proceeds to recount his own origin. Yeah, so you're going for the that's not how it really happened, let me tell you the Mostly, real story yeah. kind of thing. Well, it's, okay. it's like, he's like, he says like, ah, you're missing stuff. Not, not literally Louis was wrong, more like, mm. you missed out the best part. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of, <laughs> here's what I did while sat in that building kind of decaying and eating rats for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Malloy is told of the vampire's youth in Auvergne. That's a French word for you, ladies and gentlemen and his turbulent relationship with his father. In the 1780s, with his father's sight waning and given a handful of gold coins by his mother, Gabrielle, Lestat de Lioncourt runs off to Paris with his childhood friend, Nicolas de L'Enfant. Lots of French words. It's all very sexy. (laughs) Upon arrival, they join a theatre troupe. Of course they do. Nicolas playing violin and Lestat acting, and quickly gain success and reasonable notoriety. Performing one evening, Lestat is kidnapped and taken to a vast estate. Panicked by the experience, but trying to calm. Yeah, trying to calm. Panicked by the experience, but trying to charm his attacker, Lestat is surprised when Magnus bites him. After a few agonizing minutes, 
The Stark's body dies, and Magnus offers a handful of very vague and unhelpful pointers before briefly castigating the curse, griping about loneliness and immolating himself in a fire. Stunned, Lestat realises this means he has effectively inherited the estate and a vast fortune. Just quick caveat here. That Just entire paragraph stuff. is a long sequence of the movie. It's going to lead like right. a lot of stuff. This whole thing's like a three-hour marathon. Oh, um, wow. But it's very, very brief synopsis kind of shit. <laughs> so we, 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 we almost montage through things in terms the, of description but the, the first one's like just over two hours just two hours yeah yeah, yeah 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 mm. um but i think in this day and age audiences are more prepared for a three-hour movie oddly enough after lord of the rings and end game and shit but i was gonna point out all that crap about oh i feel so terrible a stat oh this is what you need to worry about don't drink them until they're fully gone and uh right i better set myself on fire bye oh okay that's in the books and it's like <laughs> right i don't want to give them a new origin so I guess we're going with that. Fair <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's Jimmy Fails in and out of the movie. <laughs> nice. Yeah, because that's that's another major break from both the canon of the previous film and the canon of the books. Is that um, Lestat makes a whole point in the first one about how his vampire sire or whatever you want to call it never gave him any advice, and you know he's he gives Louis both a choice and mm. like. Here's, here's how to vampire yeah. um like and that's that's the whole point he 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 never had anyone to teach him and then queen of the damned retcons his origin so that he does have a teacher <laughs> he yeah. specifically says i had never had anyone to teach me and and the line of uh, i never got to make that choice or whatever is like mm. he repeats that a few times in the film like, mm. fuck it let's just say he did it's fine <laughs> just ignore like the whole point of that character yeah so i made it that he doesn't have a choice it happens he mm. still gets turned, and then he gets a, a few pointers, and then huff in a fire. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, okay. Yep. Moving on. Lestat tells Malloy that without instruction, he had to figure out how to survive the hard way. There we go. Mm-hmm. To protect those close to him and resist temptation, Lestat writes various letters, explaining he is leaving for the Bahamas to marry a rich woman, sending out sums of money as an apology for not saying goodbye properly. Unable to process this abrupt rejection, Nicholas falls into a rut and leaves the theatre. Lestat is shocked by the arrival of his mother, Gabrielle, despite his explicit instruction not to see anyone. She explains that she would have respected his wishes, but is dying of tuberculosis. Distraught, Lestat panics and turns his mother, becoming her sire. Wow. Very incestuous. Mm. Is it as weird and sexy and makes it very uncomfortable? And I mean, it's Tom Cruise going to town on Gillian Anderson. It's, it's going to have to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is it like a de-aged uh, Tom Cruise going on a regular but quite sickly looking Gillian Anderson? <laughs> like when uh, Spike does the same in Buffy and his mum then comes on to him. Yeah, exactly. That kind of like, oh. oh. <laughs> um, back in the 90s, early 90s, um, Lestat explains he saw something of Nicholas and Louis and wonders if that's why he's always been drawn to him. Malloy asks if he and Louis were boyfriends. And while Lestat doesn't explicitly say no, he describes the desire for intense emotional connections, which can be misinterpreted as pure sexual desire. That's some shit from canon crap. It's like, yep. mm. yeah. It's like, well, I'm not, not gay, really gay. But it's gay as I have a passion <laughs> for things. It's like, right. So. By things, <laughs> I mean dicks. Yeah. He adds that their race do not procreate via sex, so the need for it is muted. Malloy seems disappointed to learn that his libido will eventually dissipate entirely. And we get a horny Christian slate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't fuck anyone. It's like, well, you'll get a new kind of arousal. <laughs> 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 
exhaling annoyingly. Like someone's just taking a sip of water on a stage. <laughs> Malloy asks, what happened to Nicholas? The stat seems distant and forlorn, haunted by memories. You know, vampire shit. A vampire shit. <laughs> Mopey. Yeah. We cut to Gabrielle and Lestat storming through the streets of Paris at night, hot on a vampire's trail. Cornering him, Lestat demands to know the fate of his friend and learns that Nicholas has been kidnapped by the children of darkness. Matt's, Matt's new <laughs> metal band. Well, a- actually, they're a devil-worshipping cult headed by Armand. Yeah, <sighs> he's back. <laughs> Arriving at the theatre, Lestat reclaims Nicholas, but notes how lost his childhood friend appears to be driven to madness as Armand and his followers have been relentlessly feeding on him. Sensing Nicholas will not survive in his current state, Lestat bites the young man before slashing his own wrist, dripping the vampiric blood down Nicholas's throat. He's turning a lot of people. He is, because mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's the classic, like, I know what I'm it's doing. Kind of, I... what, kind of what Lestat does. Yeah, it's that I'm a teenager and I've got a lot of money and time and power, so I guess after I said to everyone, I don't want to see anyone, he's like, oh, I can fix all my problems. How do I do that? Turn everyone to vampires. <laughs> yep. Over time, Gabrielle grows impatient with Lestat, who cannot control Nicholas's wild and erratic mood swings. Escaping Lestat's care, Nicholas returns to the theatre to hide. Lestat finds him and hands him a violin, trying to rekindle something of his soul and sanity, but the music that Nicholas plays is dark and twisted, horrifying Lestat. The following morning, Gabrielle wakes Lestat and says that Nicholas has gone again. With dawn near, Lestat covers himself in a thick velvet cloak. Specifically velvet. <laughs> the lure. <laughs> and desperately searches the streets before hearing the familiar twisted tones from a violin. Seeing his friend one last time, Lestat watches as Nicholas dances into the sunlight, playing blissfully as he is consumed by flames. Wow. Sad. All the Chalamet Sh- fangirls burst into tears. Yeah. Yep. As he bursts into flames, they burst into tears. Because he dies so beautifully. Malloy pulls up at a dark manor and knocks at the imposing front door. Louis! Hey! Uh, slowly answers and is immediately disappointed to learn that the young writer has been turned. Despite this, he invites him inside. I'm not going to give a shit about the whole vampire rules about inviting people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the, the books do either. No, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think they have no, that as a no, particular no. piece of law. He talks about oh, what, crucifixes. I, I quite enjoy looking looking at crucifixes. quite enjoy looking at them and all that kind of stuff, so... It's a slight twist on the law, yeah, exactly. it, in, a yeah. way, in a few ways. I believe it's the, the mad rantings of an Irishman is what how he yes. phrases it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Malloy explains the stat has given him insight into a great deal of vampire lore that fills gaps in Louis' interview. Louis is immediately hurt to learn that Lestat knew so much and yet withheld it from him. In that moment, Lestat steps out of the shadows, sneaky fucker, and the two are immediately drawn to one another. Evident that despite decades apart and all that has passed despite, uh, between them, their bond is just as strong. Lestat offers a seemingly genuine apology, specifically for the death of Claudia, and says he will introduce Louis to Marius if that's what he wants. Louis furrows his brow, shooting a glance towards Malloy before asking if this Marius is another one of his fledglings, to which Lestat explains that Marius de Romanus is the one who made Armand and taught Lestat of the first vampires. This revelation immediately captivates both Louis and Malloy. 1789. Gabrielle is unable to console Lestat or dig him out of the self-destructive depression that has consumed him following the loss of Nicholas. Explaining that she still loves him, she ventures off further into Africa, hoping their paths will cross again one day. Forlorn and broken, Lestat buries himself with Nicholas's violin 
and waits to petrify or die. The intensely emotional psychic waves emanating from the grieving Lestat attract the attention of a nearby vampire elder who exhumes Lestat from his pit and brings him to a remote Mediterranean island. Once Lestat has regained consciousness and fed, he is introduced to his host, Marius. The elder vampire talks about Lestat's dark gift, his ability to read minds, and how it must have manifested as a sort of beacon of agony. Lestat clumsily apologises, but Marius says no apology is necessary, and explains he is the one who turned Armand and is aware of his actions in Paris, so felt a strange pang of responsibility. He laments, however, that there is little he can do about it, as his primary duties keep him on the island. When inquiring what he is referring to, Marius takes Lestat to a crypt beneath his castle, and holds a torch up to reveal two figures, statues sat upon thrones. Marius states that Lestat is looking upon the faces of Enkel and Akasha, the first vampires, and inspiration for Osiris and Isis. Not the terrorist group. No. <laughs> Not that I'm aware cocky, of. Cocky and irreverent as ever, Lestat <laughs> mock bows and laughs before sauntering out of the chamber. After a few years, Lestat concludes that life on a tiny island with the Sao Marius would be just as dull as dying, so charters a ship to begin a new life in America. Hearing France has ended its colonial presence there and has vast land that would be available for purchase, he surmises this is merely the hand of fate. And the land of opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's basically now uh, Far and Away, where he plays an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> he adopts an Irish accent for some reason. He tries to. Um, Rides out on a horse with a flag. Yeah, I, I don't mind them if it's all right. Before leaving, Lestat sneaks into the crypt and engages in a mock conversation with the statues, confessing that the vampire life is a double-edged sword, which both gave life to his closest friend, but ultimately took it from him because it preserved the madness rooted inside him. Ever the performer, Lestat takes up Nicholas's violin and plays the haunting music from earlier, before flying into a rage and hurling the instrument at the statues, causing it to smash. Gathering himself, he takes a long bow and leaves. Lestat, Louis, and Malloy arrive at Marius's island, but appears to have been long deserted. Descending into the crypt, Lestat is shocked to find all that remains is the statue of Enkel, with his throat torn out. Louis comments on the grisly and macabre nature of the sculpture, but Lestat says this must be a different statue. The one he saw was sat calmly on the throne. Travelling back to mainland Italy under the cover of night, Malloy struggles to take a human life, and further realises that these interviews were for nothing as he can hardly publish them as an actual vampire. Others would come after him. Louis says he tried to warn him. The trio travel further inland to help Malloy feed, but are ambushed by fellow vampires. After a scuffle, a parlay is called, and the Italians explain there has been a spate of vampire deaths the last few years, leading outsiders to be unwelcome. Noting how poorly Malloy appears, the attackers agree to take the leads back to their master's home. Upon arrival at a nearby villa, we learn the master is none other than Marius, who appears uncharacteristically shaken. After Russian introductions, Marius reveals that after Lestat left his care, Akasha began to move extremely slowly over decades. Eventually, she countered her self-imposed fossilization before feeding on Enkel to gather the strength to fully return. Malloy, wary but recovering, grills Lestat, highlighting that he said they were just statues. Louis merely smirks and says Lestat is never to be trusted. Marius corrects them all by stating the figures were the living remains of the vampire king and queen, and unchecked, Akasha will reclaim the earth. So technically, this is where the film ends on a cliffhanger, and we have an extra little paragraph that just details some shit. So after the film, 
Following the release of this film, a sequel to this entitled Queen of the Damned uh, would go into immediate production, which would follow Akasha's rampage while simultaneously covering her and Enkel's origin story in ancient Egypt. Kind of like the books do. Mm -hmm. The feature would be a combination of lavish ancient set pieces and effect-heavy visceral action scenes while addressing the philosophy and coping mechanisms for immortality. Many of the characters from this film would return, including Gabrielle and Armand in the 90s. Yeah, so I won't bother writing the whole thing, but basically the vampire stat very much... I've dropped the whole music aspect because that's dumb. Stupid and unnecessary. It's, yeah. it's so stupid. So I was just salvaging. I thought, well, the interesting story is like this origin of the species and origin of stuff. So, But it's too much for one movie. And I didn't want to go too much into the depth of the, the both movies thing. So I thought, well, let's just focus on this one as it is, as it stands. Um, opens a lot of doors, but it would then go into a third film, basically. I think... The, I think the problem, the huge problem with Queen of the Damned is it tries to do too much. Great. You have Rockstar, Lestat, and you also have all the Akasha shit happening at the same time. I would, I almost feel like you don't need the Akasha shit in your one either. You could, yeah, you could focus on Malloy, Louis, and, and, Mar and Marius, and obviously Lestat, mm. and Marius as kind of the supporting cast, and maybe have Marius talk about the origins of the vampires and use sure, that as a sure. way to explore it. I feel like you either need to commit to Akasha or not bother at all. And my kind of worry about this is you end up with like a kind of, like you said, you leave this on a cliffhanger and then you go into the third film and this is kind of like, yeah, kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean 2 for not to talk shit about your pitch. At no, all, no, no, no. Like, you have that. Okay, now the big fight is happening and this is basically almost like a prequel to the third film. Mm. I really, really like how you've characterized everybody and you've kept, because as we talked about, the Queen of the Damned does a fucking terrible <laughs> job of <laughs> keeping any sort of continuity or characterization from the first one. Actually having the actors come back is brilliant and having Lestat be the untrustworthy narrator essentially for this film compared to the seemingly trustworthy Louis from the from the first one as well. Yeah, I don't know if you need the Akasha stuff. I would, I think, I would maybe have this more focused on Malloy being a vampire in the modern era and him understanding Lestat, his relationship with ancient vampires, Louis's relationship with Lestat, and how that all happens. The problem with that, I think, if you focus on that, you kind of do another Louis, but yeah. it's just two hundred years later, where you get, sorry, a hundred years later, whatever it is, um, with. Oh, he's turned into a vampire, and now he learns about the vampire world. Yeah. And you do that again with Christian Slater in his, what, 40s at that point, whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, that's, not as, that's not as cool and as exciting as young Brad Pitt going around. But I, I like what you've done with the characters, and I like that you have the, you know, Gabrielle come in there and some origins. And stuff. I think casting is fantastic as well. Sorry, Tim, go on. Yeah, no, I... I, I disagree i think the akash stuff works okay because she only appears as a statue in this and so i think i think there could it could do with uh a better conclusion that makes sure. it feel a little so it's not all cliffhanger yes that's fair um and yeah just just kind of maybe find a way to end some some of the emotional arcs here. in this film yes. while also yes. setting up 
yeah you know uh yeah, something something coming up um i thought i thought your use of the kind of the canon stuff was because a lot of this is very close to what the plot of the vampire Lestat is yes. um and deploys it a lot better than queen of the dam does which kind of takes the weird framing narratives and tries to turn those into the whole story mm. without offering any of the actual interesting insight insights into Lestat. um oh and also queen of the damned here you go shove it all together yes yeah yeah queen of the dam tries to adapt two books while also dumping most of them <laughs> mm-hmm. which is Somehow. about as bad choice yeah. as you could possibly make um uh so yeah i think i think the the ending could do with a little work i would be a little worried about how much use of de-aging technology you would need in it mm-hmm. um what I, I i'm curious to know what who was the actor who you were like i've got to cast this person and make it in 2018 rather than making it a more contemporary sequel to you know doing it in 96 or whatever so the 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 tricky part is that if you release it in the early 2000s you get into a point where people don't want a prestige drama sort of thing like this really so Mm. you get you can't really do this kind of movie arguably arguably. whereas you start to come back to that kind of prestige thing because of the way television goes in the latter years uh, Timothy Chalamet as Nicholas is where I want like really to 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 wrangle it to make it work. Um, you, obviously, you can get similar per- people, arguably in mm. the late nineties, but it's more trying to gain the audience as well, and an actual sense of mm. longevity, an actual sense of. Um, I think you're right. Okay, so to to explain my because um, I mentioned that earlier about the, the the trappings, as it were. This one is a fucker, and. I was trying to Again, conclude you've it. Got the weight of all the law. That's the mm. problem. Pressing down. Well, on both, both of the both of the books have a really weird structure that does not lend themselves to a yeah. film adaptation. Yeah. And what's more, Lestat's story never ends. So either yeah. I choose <laughs> to make an ending for it, which I was trying to do in this this potential third film, Armand coming back and having a big showdown between Louis Armand and and then realizing that their adversarial thing would be there. I don't know, I'm talking about things that isn't in the script here. It'd be in the third part. It would would I couldn't just drag that into this film because it would film unwarranted. I thought to myself, I was writing away. I thought, this is too big for one movie. This is this is even if you drop all the Akasha stuff um and make it just about they go back to Europe and meet up with Maris and Amand and all that sort of stuff, it's it's still too big. Mm. Um there's too much going on. Um, and I whittled it down, whittled down. I thought, no, I have to split this into two films. I don't want to do that. All these sort of things. It was very problematic in lots of ways. And I, I do think that a lot of that comes from the book. And at one point I was like, well, let me put this on hold. Let me workshop an idea where I do an entirely different balls the wall. Fuck your canon. I'm going to just do a story. <laughs> and I started doing it. I thought, no one's going to want this. No one's, I mean, not even if it was really fucking good, which is, you know, how films tend to work, because the fan base would still be like, that's not the story. In the same way that we, we, we as comic book fans say, like, you've done a great story here, I really enjoyed it, but why don't you just adapt the story that worked? Why don't you just yeah. do the story that we wanted to see? Um, mm. And then you, you see that stuff and you think, oh, actually, I didn't want to see that story at all. <laughs> it doesn't fit. I see why you do that now. So, yeah, it's, it's actually a real, it was a real poison chalice, this one, um, because of all the franchise things that I've covered thus far and will cover in future seasons and stuff, this one is so up and down, so controlled by one person. Um, and yeah, I think there are, I think there's definitely a way I could, I could workshop it to make it work, but it would have to be, 
it would it would either feel. I mean, for example, the whole Gabrielle stuff. She mm. does come back in the books from Africa. It, that's like yep. again, if you think of yourself, that's a weird choice. It's from the fucking books. <laughs> and Anything weird in Matt's pitch? They're like, huh? That's from the books. Yeah, the books yeah. are meant. <laughs> I try, I've tried to make it all work, but it's like I, I wrote a little timeline of all the stuff. Basically, I thought, fucking hell, this is ridiculous. And that's what you try and produce any canon of like you know multiple. Just years. like I did with Robert the Bruce. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> plot out, yeah. plot out the early thirteen hundreds yeah. in Scotland. Like, hmm, yeah. Oh wait, so I, none of it matters. Yeah, so I chiseled it down and tried to get some things. I also had the idea about bringing back in the third film um, a a new vampire who basically looks almost exactly like um, Nicholas played by Timothy Chalamet, a different person who Armand has sort of courted and turned because he has a type, basically, which again mm. is so very vampire shit. It's like, oh, mm. why do you love <laughs> this person? They look exactly like someone I used to love previously. Yeah. Played by the same fucking actor with a different haircut. And I wanted all this stuff to come out, but the problem is that as we mentioned about splitting any two-part thing, like whether it's the fucking Hunger Games or whatever it is, or even The Hobbit or something awful like that, mm. you tend yeah. to rip yourself out of the connective flow of it. We always talk about what's wrong with The Matrix Reload, what's wrong with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. But in this instance, because of the, the sheer wealth of material I have to sort of sort through, I thought I can't make it one film because anything we conclude with is going to feel, oh, is that it? You, you waited 24 years to bring this. I was like, eh, fuck. So I, to I totally get it. It's, it was a, a nightmare, to be honest. Hence my, my fear of this one. I think we can make <laughs> it work, basically. Mm. I, um, I'm trying to, because I, I kind of did, did a bit of research as we mentioned on on the law. Yeah, yeah. I know that there is bits in either one one of the two books that deal with Malloy and like what happens to I him. So, and yeah. does he does get turned into a but I can't remember how his story ends. I would be tempted to have him possibly kill himself at the end of this film. Oh, the end of this film. Okay. As as a kind of like Oh, I wanted to be a vampire, but you've you've cursed me, and now there's this horrible thing coming, and like I don't see a fucking point of it, and and have that echo, um, Nicholas? uh, Nicholas's death mm. to give to to play up the tragedy, you know, yes. of the, like like Lestat is clearly looking for this emotional connection. It's why he turned everybody under the uh, sun, <laughs> Nicholas. It's why he turns Louis. It's why he turns this uh, Malloy. Well. Yeah. Um, and, and these patterns keep on repeating themselves. Yes. People either leave or, you know, die or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that also can form a kind of conclusion to this film. I like that. That's actually pretty solid. Yeah. And, I and it, and it, it means it, he's it, not just a Louis too. Yeah. And it, it also means he's not, <laughs> if you do a sequel where you've got more action and more, a bigger kind of, uh, world-threatening plot. You don't have this kind of loose string of like, oh yeah, this is this guy as well who's He's just kind just of like a lame yeah. new vampire that yeah. we have to find things to do. Yeah, that's fair. I really like that idea, Tim. I think you need to separate, as as I said, the obvious thing is to carry on Malloy's journey, but you need to separate him from Louis. I think mm. him dying in some way, maybe maybe not quite the same as Nicholas, because I think it may be a bit too on the nose agree, with him yeah. like mm. walking out into the sun or whatever. Maybe he's mm killed in a fight or gets his head mm. cut off or whatever it is the the vampire death thing isn't entirely defined in the first film so yeah. it's like some of them are set on fire some of them are cut in half him mm. quietly say to to louis in a sort of side room i need you to kill me and have louis kill him that is exactly mm. what i was thinking yeah and have louis is 
he can't quite bring himself to to kill himself mm. for whatever reason. Louis can't quite do that, and their Lestat and Louis, for want of a better phrase, are like destined to exist forever with each other, always loving but hating each other, and this whole weird dance that they do for eternity kind of thing. And everyone around them fucking dies, whether that's Claudia, whether that's Malloy. You know, you've got this kind of those two are the ones that are drawn to each other. And no matter how many other people Lestat turns to try and reclaim his childhood or be a father or whatever it is, it's Louis that remains. And in ways that Lestat can't control or that Louis can't control, everyone around them dies. And I think having Louis make that decision brings another element to their relationship and that character have Louis be the one like, I mean, you asked for this, man. You interviewed me. You now know what I, I said what is going to happen. Yeah. I warned you. Yeah. Do you want to go through with this? Do you want to live in this eternal dance with death that me and Lestat go through? Whether he's what he said is true and what I said is true doesn't really matter because you know the vampires are real now. Can you live with that? Can you carry on being you struggle with Malloy? your first feed? And I can mm-hmm. imagine. You know, Christian Slater breaking down and having this really emotional scene with with Brad Pitt, and then Lestat finding out about it later. And I, I don't know, I'm, 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 I think that is that is definitely a key thing. I can't, kind of quite, especially like to see. if but, again, killing a vampire is an absolute crime that you can't do it. Mm. Yes. Exactly. Obviously, Louis has already done that. He murdered a mm. bunch of the fuckers yeah. in the first <laughs> one. I definitely couldn't resolve it all one film, in my opinion, without dumping mm. a lot of stuff that would make a lot of the fans very angry. I, I think uh, just a paragraph at the end where we talk about the Louis killing Malloy would make this film much more, give you a lot more closure and more, more satisfaction. I agree with that. Again, it's the trappings of the established canon. And I know I've already chucked that in the bin with things like my Hogwarts films. But that's because their mm. characters were so peripheral. Um, but yeah, I, again, it's, it's definitely something I could see working either way. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're 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 doing a lot of kind of workshopping here, but I think we should point out that this is so much better than fucking the existing Queen of Damned. <laughs> um, you know, and I I think uh, Abrahamson is a really interesting pick for director. I'd be really interested to see what yeah he did with this. Well, I want some emotional film, hopefully. Yeah, I'd be tempted to rather than Marius Unleash yes. have it be Armand because he's a real he's a dick, dick in the books, which. Sense interview doesn't really get across um so maybe maybe have him kind of uh show back up again and and have it be i think i think the idea of like you know yeah the the younger vampires aren't behaving so you know i've brought i've brought mum and dad back to give you all a good spanking kind of thing yeah is a is an interesting motivation and we you know we're trying to kind of clean up the the slight mess here which all comes from the Anne Rice books and like she doesn't yeah. resolve Queen of the Damned well. It ends with a like a Deus Ex Machina where just another ancient vampire shows up and kills Akasha. And, and like it's there's so many problems like with trying to stay honest to the law while the law also does not lend itself to easy adaptation so i don't i i don't envy you here i think i probably would have booted a lot more of the law uh if i'd have been doing it but um i think i i i totally respect you trying to like keep as much as possible <laughs> um it's it's not an easy task but Armand would have been um, the, in my in my sort of follow-up would definitely be the immediately 
the adversary, as it were, set up. He got all the stuff, mm. and he would align himself with Akasha and find out that he actually can't control. He controls everyone else. And he needs to say this, mm. like, and all this stuff comes into it. But again, um, it's tricky, isn't it? It's really tricky. Yeah, I, I, part of me is like Matt. Why don't you just write both, both fucking pictures? I was like, because I didn't want to this time round. I wanted to just write, <laughs> you know, the one and say, and then then other stuff would happen. Mm, it's yeah. it's been as I said before. I don't want to keep like apologizing for my work because I think it's fine. It will hold up fine. But it is a fucker. It is an absolute mm. bastard. But um, yeah, I think I think just a few bits and pieces at the end will give it a much more satisfying conclusion. Um, and we'll go into the third one reasonably well. Oh, we didn't we didn't even get into Stephen Ray's doing weird Dancing? mirror games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is he a mime? That's so, I know we're we're way off track it's at this French. point, but like, because that's what it that's what he does in the books. Yeah. Probably. Oh god, it's so weird. It's just this weirdest mm. like. There's so. I keep saying the word weird. I can't think of anything else. It's so strange how all these characters interact in bizarre ways, and then mm. kind of like. Yeah, it kind of works in the first film, and then I think you carry you carry that kind of the the charisma and and the weird character interactions into your film, Matt, and I think that's why your film would work sure a million times better than Queen of the Damned <laughs> because you have that continuity and you have that mm. canon and the sexiness carrying through from the first one. I think that's why it would work, mm-hmm. and so much of like the various. Just uh, characterizations in the Vampire Chronicles. You just have to kind of shrug and go, I don't know. They're four hundred years old. You'd get weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, like seen so many of so many of like the ancient vampires in it are like, oh yeah, well you know, one hundred and fifty years ago we tried to kill each other and we swore if we saw each other again we'd cut their like I'd cut your head off and throw you into the daylight, but. Mm. Uh, I'm too old to hold grudges. <laughs> so now so now let's be boyfriends and also start a family. Con- contrast to Twilight where you have like 800-year-old men falling in love with 15-year-olds uh, and it's like yeah. totally normal, you know. I feel like it'd be it'd be past teenagers by this point, right? Like, I feel like you'd be fed up with 16-year-olds. Yeah, yeah I got fed up yeah, with 16-year-olds yeah, when would. I was 16. <laughs> Get me a grizzled old person. <laughs> get me a Kirk Douglas. Um, <laughs> get me a Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, it's uh, Betty White's birthday today. She's ninety nine. Get me Betty oh, White. Oh wow. Um, yeah, but yeah, she is um, the living vampire Betty. <laughs> uh, aging vampire. Not not as easy to identify. See, well, she, she's the opposite. She, she, She's been old forever. <laughs> yeah, she hasn't really aged since like the wedding singer. She's just always been old. Like Patrick Stewart. You're like, oh, he's he's 60 in the in the next generation, isn't he? Hmm. Uh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. He's been yeah. 60 for the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like uh. like Tommy Lee Jones was born at the age of 60, and he's just he's just sort of um crinkled up a bit. I think I've seen a yearbook picture of Tommy Lee Jones. He looks like a craggy old man who stumbled in. I, I was literally about to ask, yeah. I wonder what his yearbook photo looked yeah. like. Oh my God. Past is a yeah, weird place. Um, quick question for you, Matt. Go for it. Um, so you've got the casting of Akasha with Naomi Scott in there. Yes. Um, and Ankle, obviously, yes. carrying forward. Yes. Did you have any other ideas for any other cast or, or would like Abramson return for the sequel to direct and all that kind of I stuff? I feel like, this would be filmed back to back kind of thing. 
Oh, okay. Infinity War immediately following the release. Yes. So that kind of makes yeah. sense. Okay. I, I, I would also, this would be released in 2018. 2019 would be the sequel, Queen of the Damned, you know, pre pandemic sort of shit. Um, because again, it's, it, it, would, it would be the, in fact, exact same. It would, there would probably be some sort of thing in the press, like, oh, hang on a minute. So we got Infinity War and Endgame two part ending sort of thing. We have which film back to back, and you've also got this vampire thing going on. Jesus, a lot of fucking genre stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there'd be again much more lenience and leeway for that kind of stuff, and there'd be a big, big push because it was. This is the, the, the problem with saying in the late nineties. You do get things like you know, oh, Sleepy Hollows around and that stuff like that. You've got bits and pieces, sure. but again, in terms of like, there's a reason why in the two thousands you don't get a lot of these. They all start falling apart very quickly. Um, and you end up saying, well, no, we want trendy news shit. We want it's like the same way you can't really put a, a Western in the, in the, I mean, it changes to spaghetti Westerns because the traditional Westerns mm-hmm. take over because they want, we want sci-fi now, no more Westerns, that kind of thing. So, um, I'm not saying we want to make it because it's successful. We want to make it because it's good at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> that is the rule here on Super Lens. As yeah. always, as always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do think a, a, a departure and having, and this is the key point here. I wanted to have old actors revisiting a role of an immortal 25 years later where they can go, fuck, I've lived, motherfucker. I have seen and done <laughs> shit. And yeah. I would like to go back and try and go back and really recapture that mindset. So I wanted to be a big experiment in all, you know, all over the place. And, and also makes it more of an appeal. People go, oh, actually, I'd really be curious. But what would that be like then? But then also, to recreate, I mean, the same way that the Mank by David Fincher is such a, to a fault, a loving recreation of filmmaking from the 40s mm. that you're like, I would like to do that. Make this a 90s movie. It's like, why would you do that? Oh. It's been 30 fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> Important question. Does Naomi Scott filming this mean we don't have to put up with fucking Guy Ritchie's Aladdin? Yes, please. Technically, she probably wouldn't be Jasmine and Aladdin, unfortunately. She, yeah, they'd, just, they'd probably just cast someone she else. She also probably wouldn't <laughs> get into Charlie's Angels. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> being good in both. I, I like, I like Naomi Scott a lot. She she saves a lot of those films. It's all right. Pa- Power Rangers survives. She's Power Rangers is all the mess. Um, yes. And then she goes on to do the Power Rangers sequel as per our own mm, <laughs> yeah. canon universe. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a really, really tricky one. I mean, we talk about like prequelizers uh, prequelize being really difficult for us and the, 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 you are so hemmed in by what you can and can't do. This to me felt like prequelizers all over again because it's like, oh. yeah. And I, again, I did really want to just chuck it all out. I thought, but then I'm not really making... And Well, no, not, you, that's not true. You can do what you ever fucking like. You could do, do anything. You could say, oh, what's going to be? Vampires on the moon. Problem solved. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yes, so I, I tried to do something else that would sort of appeal to the fans of the original movie, appeal to fans of the book, and create something nostalgic and different, hopefully, in a weird way. So last piece of kind of casting idea I have Go ahead. is bringing back somebody who was the known as the Oceans expert in a previous episode, who now <laughs> I would like to, to call on as the number one young Brad Pitt fan. <laughs> my partner Emma would like to have a little Queen of the Damned way in. Oh, she so wants I'll, I'll to hand, have I'll, a talk. I'll hand it over to my partner. Christ. I'm very disappointed Blade didn't show up at the end. I've got to say, Matt. Kills all. Don't worry. It's going to be something else. And Spider Man, obviously. <laughs> Blade Spider Man crossover. And favourite returning to the show. Good afternoon. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? 
Wait, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Going well to start with. Yes. Oh, hi. We're good. How are you, Emma? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Good. Just, you know. Good. Playing games. <laughs> mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I've just read your pitch, Matt. Yes. And I like it. Thank you. That's very kind. That's it. I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So, so what's your what's your history with with the interview with a vampire and stuff? So, are uh, you so interview with a vampire is one of my favorite films. I was um, an emo when I was younger, mm-hmm. and interview with a vampire fills that you know void inside of me. Uh, the I get that haunting death. And sadness. Um, that Emma's just a nurse on the COVID soul. ward, everybody. She knows that yeah. shit for real life now. <laughs> Actually going through it yeah. right now. Hence the word was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Queen of the Damned, if you take it on its own, not as a sequel, mm-hmm. is okay. Generous. It's the music that makes it. I said the same thing. No, I, I said something similar. Yeah. Yeah. There was none of the gay love that the first film had in abundance and that mm-hmm. is what you know my emo soul needed and thankfully matt brought back back for his Ex- pitch. Yeah. yeah so yeah um i was impressed with your pitch and i think it follows interview with a vampire very well and i'm very mm-hmm. happy with the cast that you're bringing the um actors back Gillian mm-hmm. anderson because i fucking love that woman mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. uh, i did have to google who naomi scott mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. But I think she's quite a good uh, stand-in. That's not the word mm-hmm. I want. Alternative. Alternative. Yeah. She's a very good mm. alternative. I'm guessing because she looks, or is she, Egyptian? She's Anglo-Indian, I believe. Yes. She's like half Irish, half Indian, yes. I think. Okay. But she, she could fulfil that role, I think, quite well. You know, the being... Um, embodiments of isis mm-hmm. and stuff i think that would be very yeah. good i was originally going to go with um um cara delavine and have her do a sexy dance like in suicide squad <laughs> but i thought no that feels that feels horrifying that's already been done <laughs> yeah that's... i think the most important thing is that matt has dramatically increased the amount of longing looks between beautiful men in this film so i could Which do is what i wanted yeah yeah i feel yeah. i feel that's what we were as much as Queen of the Damned has a lot of scenes of people darting around on stage really fucking stupidly and exploding set pieces, like, I don't want that. I want just a bunch of sad boys. That's what I think people want from these movies. It's all about the longing. Yes, the forlorn. And the melancholy. So what's what's the soundtrack, Matt? Soundtrack is going to be... Um... Trent Reznor and Attica Frost. <laughs> I'm... No, I can't. I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't. <laughs> because the soundtrack for Interview with a Vampire is really good. That's what I was saying earlier. Mm. Elliot yeah, Gordon Tall scores yeah, brilliant. I think it's and gorgeous. And I that's, think he'd come think back, what, my what upset me the most with Queen of the Damned um, and Lestat becoming a rock star mm. because he was a classic pianist. Like, at what point is what he or who he is and mm. what he portrays? Mm. A fucking rock star. <laughs> yeah. See, None of it. I think Sorry. with the with the Nicholas 
violin stuff, you've got the opportunity for a lot of like very haunting oh, violin. I make it really twisted and creepy and terrifying. Music and yeah. And, yeah. Elliot Golden Goldenthal is the guy who did the music at the time, and I would definitely bring him back. He, he did a lot of things with Julie Tremor. That's quite interesting. He did Titus and um, the Tempest. Oddly enough, uh, the, the adaptation of the Tempest, and. Mm. He also, by the way, he did the music for Batman Forever, which is, again, I mentioned this earlier, a good Batman soundtrack. Um, but his music mm. feels very haunting and melancholy, and it, it comes across very much so in Into the Vampire. And it's like, he's not really that busy, just get him back. I think he would be... Mm. So basically, mm -hmm. the answer with the music, I would have the exact same thing. It would be a real return to form, like, bring me the guy who is going to elevate this, 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 this on-screen tragedy to really make you just, just crush you. And also, I think we've transitioned from all the mid two thousands vampire. Everything's a fucking vampire. Everything's ruined by vampires. Mm. Back to we can now go back to vampires in a different way without feeling like oh, it's another fucking Twilight. <laughs> that kind of stupid thing. We've, yeah, we've got enough distance from Twilight, and this would hopefully encourage people who haven't seen Interview with a Vampire to go back and go, oh, this did this was good Twilight like fifteen years earlier and much much better. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am very impressed, and I would have, I would have liked to have seen that on the screen. I think that would have been a really. That's really all we can solid... actually hope for is to to say like, here's mm. a film that people, even if you've in, this, you're probably a good example, much like myself, sort of enjoyed the original at the time, mostly for the music, and went, I don't think this is good, but I'm watching it, and I have a copy mm -hmm. on DVD for some reason, that kind of thing, and mm -hmm. then going, but I preferred this. I would prefer to have seen something like this. So yeah, thank you. That's good. That's that's reassuring. Right. Well, uh, I'll leave you guys to it. Thank you. Thank you for Thank listening you. to my expert opinion. Again. <laughs> Always appreciated. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> See you next season. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, folks. An official opinion from a young emo slash goth who secretly loved Queen of the Damned. <laughs> well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is Matt's fix of Queen of the Damned. And I know it's a low bar, Matthew, but you did it. You fixed yes. that shit. Well done. 18%. <laughs> Nailed it. 110% <laughs> less Jonathan Davis, for better or worse. <laughs> um, if you'd like to talk about the pitch, if you're a diehard Queen of the Damned fan, because we know you exist out there, oh, I do not want you can hit me. us up on, well, yeah, they're going to they're gonna contact us either way, man, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and they can contact us on social media. We are Sequelizers, exactly how it's spelled on your podcast listening app of choice. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those kind of places. And you can also go to sequelizers.com to find the links to our Discord, to our shop, to all the podcast services, to all the social media, little bios and links to our social media as well. Sequelizers.com is the place to go for the hub of Sequelizers information. If you want to follow me directly on social media, I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Matt, if they want to argue about sexy vampires with you on the internet, where can they do it? Apart from fanfiction.net slash Stogs, obviously. Lawsuits <laughs> pending. Yeah. Um, Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, is the uh, general handle on all the things. The red right hand at code.uk to read my reviews. Cheeseman.com to see the things that I make. Tim, if you were really, really, really sad because someone had a bite of you and then you wanted to sit down for a little while and be sad, where can we find you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, whenever I want to be sad, I go to Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Ain't that the truth, where I am, Jesus. Where I am trivia underscore lad, uh, and you can find me chatting about uh, films, comics, and various other things. That's sad. Uh, just 
just don't make me go out in the sunshine because I will set on fire. <laughs> that is a rule for for Timothy Chalamet and for Timothy Mayton. <laughs> yeah, you go out in the sunlight, you burst into flames. Sweet, soft so gems. alike in so many ways. <laughs> I often get you two mixed up. I'm not going to lie. Yep. <laughs> Uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate your support, whether it's through Patreon or whether it's through sharing the show and reviewing us on various podcast services and all that kind of stuff. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week for the big season finale. Ooh.